Win your share of $1 million with the Bet Rivers Beat the Spread Challenge. Win prizes all season long. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com to start winning. Must be 21 and located in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Bets Off. The case of the Long Island serial killer is still unsolved. Follow us, Billy Jensen and Alexis Linkletter, as we investigate the untold story of the Long Island serial killer. 11 victims, 10 years, and countless theories. It was just how many bodies were being found in one area. I was shocked. And for us, this case is personal. You can follow our investigation in our all-new special, Unraveled, The Long Island Serial Killer, streaming now on Discovery+. Plus. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom, kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to oh, an man. end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the US Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome, everybody, to the Garden of Doom. It is January 17th, 2021. We have survived the new year for another week. Um, it is episode 24, I think. And today I'm going to try to make good on my promise of the New Year's, which was to have a little bit of light fare and not go so heavy, which I kept for exactly one week and then went into something a bit heavier, but hopefully interesting and thought-provoking. Um, but in any event, we're going back to Lighter Fair this week, and we have one of our old friends. I think this is his third trip into the garden, and that's our friend Kevin Castle. So, Kevin, how's it going? Thanks for coming in. 
Hey, what's up, Jeff? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, number three. It's uh, third time. Yeah, wow. It was a pleasure. Third time is the charm, that's for sure. There you go. Three times the charm. Okay, great. I'm adjusting your volume a little bit so that yours matches mine. Oh, I'm getting good at go. this. Woo! So technology uh, <laughs> smart. Anyway, so we are going to talk about horror films and really more start with the old school horror films the things that we grew up with but they were even old when we grew up and we're old we're both 52 um so black and white stuff and and who knows where that'll take us because once we had a conversation where i think we started on something serious and ended up on matt leblanc shows before friends and nikki cox uh before she was on las vegas so you you, you never know where we're gonna go but so yeah so I, the first horror film that I can remember seeing probably wasn't a horror film, um, but it's still my favorite, and it was my introduction, and it was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, the, the, uh, classic. I mean, I love that. Uh, I'll watch that anytime. Never gets old. It's kind of like the, very much a movie version of what, probably we consider like the honeymooners uh especially being a northeastern or a new yorker uh they never get old either and we know the back of our hand we know the dialogue but we can always sit down and rewatch it and it's always uh it's always, it's not like it's new again but it's uh always entertaining and and even though you know what's coming it's one of those things you can watch over and over again that's what i love about uh abbott and costello honeymooners everything from those uh, 40s and 50s era. It's great. It's a great film, and I, I again very enjoyable still to this day because you get to see all the monsters, like the classic uh, trio of uh, monsters there: uh, Frankenstein, Wolfman, and uh, Dracula. Yep, all in one movie. And for those who don't know, Abbott and Costello and the Honeymooners—they were sort of like the first vaudeville-type comedy act to make it to like TV and movies. And it's almost like. Abbott and Costello were almost like the human embodiment of Scooby-Doo, except there were two of them. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure some of the stuff is, is probably dated and, and probably wouldn't meet with today's PC culture, but I did show Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein to um, my kids when they were very little, and they loved it. They thought it was hysterical, and they're right. It, it was hysterical. I don't know how they'd feel now that they're older. Uh, I've got a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. Um, but I, I, would, I still love it. And you're right. It was, it was like a superstar collection. You had, you had the All-Stars. You had Dracula. You had the Wolfman. You had Frankenstein. I think Bride of Frankenstein made an appearance. Pretty sure the Mummy made a brief appearance. And, of course, the cliffhanger at the end was the Invisible Man. And, yes. And the last. So, so that was sort of – actually, I think I'm confusing the Invisible Man with the Mummy. It was the same sort of a gauze, uh, you know, un unraveling. But Right, yeah. It was the Invisible Man. It was the voice of Vincent Price. Yes. And you had Lon Chaney and Boris Karloff. Uh, I think it was Bella Lugosi was in that also. Yes, yep, it was all the, the classic, uh, and it's funny, they were, uh, when that movie came out, Adam and Costello were kind of uh, still young in age, I mean, they were in their 30s when that movie came out, it's so funny, where me and you were probably 20 years older than Adam and Costello were in that movie at the time, and Lugosi and Koloff and Cheney were the elders, and uh, Adam and Costello were, were the hot uh, modern thing, modern pop culture thing at the time, and uh, those guys making the appearance were the classic actors. They were the older, grizzled actors. 
characters at that point. And that was in the 40s, for God's sakes, and 50s. So um, it, it, when you look back now and look about who was in that film and, and, the, and, the, and the lineage and the legacy, uh, it's amazing. I mean, it really is, especially if you're a movie and a history, a cinema buff and a television history buff. It, it's uh, it's a cavalcade of stars. And even some of the smallest stars, uh, people who played the, the, the damsels in the stress and stuff, they're all notable actors. It was, it was a pretty star-studded cast at the time. Yeah, I think like one of them might have been Olivia de Havilland or or, or, or someone of that that tier. Right. Yeah, I, I mean that movie. Okay, I'm biased, but that movie should be on um, one of those like AMI top hundred lists of all time. I agree with you. I think I think it really is. I think it was that good. I don't think it was, you know, it was like, you know slapstick. People like to use the word and uh, you know silly hokey, but it was uh, a real classic movie. It did have some some scares. Uh, and it and stuff, especially when they were in, you know the monsters were pursuing them and stuff. Uh, it, it was a great film. I can again, it's probably I, I, I that and like March of the Wooden Soldiers, two of my favorite black and white uh, old school uh, movies that I could watch time and time again, and probably even at this point once a year, almost like clockwork. And I can and if someone I I'd get excited if someone didn't see it because then I could watch it for a reason of watching their reaction, seeing it the first time and getting them into it. So it's one of those things that you also, like you said, you introduce to your kids that uh, if someone even of you know a few years younger, maybe in their twenties or thirties, didn't see it, you can introduce them to that too. It's uh, I, I can't see anybody who likes. Uh, horror or just uh, decent comedy because it has got, got some funny moments in it too. I mean, Abbott Costello were in a quiet taste, but they they could make you laugh. Yeah, and kids like pretty much anything. But unlike a lot of movies that are you know were old and sort of even when we were growing up, like the the movies in the eighties and the seventies, they had a very different pacing than movies have today. And the Abbott and Costello movie. Um, it sort of took off right from the beginning. I mean, there was a little bit of a burn, but once it started, it sort of didn't stop. It was very much like a cartoon translated to film, though it was probably the reverse. But, uh, you know, it, I, it didn't try to be anything other than what it was. And you're right, it, it did have some scares. It had some comedy. It was slapstick. But that's all it was trying to be. And I think it was a, su- a success on every level. Um, but, you know, it, it was more enjoyable than, say, Frankenstein and then Bride of Frankenstein. Um, but you know what? There, there's a, you're right. It's one of those black and white movies that I could watch over and over again. It would make an annual thing. Uh, I know we're a little bit past the season, but Miracle on 34th Street ha- has that effect on me. The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is also a classic horror movie, but it's also sort of a love story. I guess all horror movies or a lot of horror movies or monster movies are sort of love stories at their root. Um, that that's a great one also it just it, 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 i never get tired of it so uh and i used to love the longest day but i tried watching it again and and it just seemed painfully slow to me but not not happen costello meet the frankenstein um and so this is that's a great introduction especially if you want to do it with your kids or even yourself into so the older monster movies have you ever gone real far back and like checked out like nosferatu uh, yeah, I've seen that before. Just one asterisk we have to put to uh, Abigail meet Frankenstein because I thought we might have been incorrect about something, and we were. Uh, it was Glenn Strange who played the Frankenstein monster, not Boris Koloff. Boris Koloff was supposed to be in that movie, and then Glenn Strange, uh, the actor from Gunsmoke, actually took the uh, role, who looks a lot like Koloff, by the way. Uh, Glenn Strange was... Uh, 
the Frankenstein monster and Abacus telling me Frankenstein. So yeah, I, I remember there was something, I said, I don't think it was Koloff and I was just second guessing myself in my mind. I looked it up and it was Glenn Strange, but uh, who again, who's, if you're the history cinema buff, TV buff, uh, Glenn Strange was known for the TV show Gunsmoke, which ran forever in the day, back in the day, uh, in his later years. But um, uh, yeah, Nosferatu, um, I saw that, oh God, probably when I was seven or eight years old. And I like to say that we just stumbled upon it on television, me and my older brother Joseph probably watching TV and flipping around to the stations. And it was on maybe Channel 11 or Channel 5 late at night. Uh, me and my brother would have a habit of sneaking up in the mid to late 70s and going in a room. There was a separate room. My parents, well, we would go downstairs and... Uh, turn on the TV and sometimes a uh, monster movie would be on or something like that. But I do recall seeing that and just being scared by it because of the way uh, he walked around. It was so creepy. And I remember not thinking, is that a, a man? Is that in makeup? And I'm a young kid. The teeth thing, it just bothered me that his face to me was one of nightmares. Probably the first... I was never that scared. I mean, of Frankenstein, Wolf Miller, we'll get into all that stuff, like how, how it affected us as kids watching. But the Nosferatu guy definitely scared me uh that that the the teeth and the and long fingernails i never seen anything like that before you know because again the other monsters the werewolf had a furry face and had some fangs and dracula but dracula looked like a normal man for the most part frankenstein was scary to me but he was so slow moving and stuff but uh to see the guy with the long fingernails and the teeth that just stuck out like razors over his lips that was freaky to me i never seen anything like that before yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and I still think it's the creepiest. It still is, yeah, yeah to this day. Yeah. To this day. Now, the interesting thing about uh, Nosferatu and uh, and the Dracula movies from back then is you're right. Dracula was portrayed sort of as an elegant gentleman, just you know, sort of evil to the core um, yeah. and a monster, but he could he could pass for a normal man, uh, yep. which is you know just pale. Um, Nosferatu definitely wasn't, but Nosferatu actually was. Like a re-scripting and a and a reworking of Bram Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, now it it changed the story around quite a bit. I mean a lot, but it's it, it's very obviously um, uh, the the Dracula tale. I mean even with the names of the characters, you had Renfield, you had Jonathan Harker. He was a lawyer going. Uh, you know, this was his career move was to get this guy to buy a, a castle in in. Um, London, and you know they change some things around, and they change the story. And they, it's actually fair, a fairly short film, and it's like that shutter fly kind of uh, filming. But it, it was—I don't know if this is the first movie where they took a book and sort of reworked it, or an adaptation is probably the 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 nom de plume. But um, it, it was trying to do Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, but just I guess fit it into seventy five minutes or or whatever they did. But it's it's creepy, uh, but it's also ancient at, at its own time. But but some of those images are still the lasting creepy images. The first time, by the way, I think I saw them. The the images was in the Queen David Bowie video for Under Pressure. Yeah, no, I, I recall that myself. That's right, I remember. And I'm like, what is this? And you know, and back then there there wasn't an internet, so you had to ask around until you found somebody who knew. And of course, you'd get you know seventeen wrong answers before you got a right one. And 
you know, they were blockbusters back then, but most of them weren't carrying, you know, 1920s movies or whatever Nosferatu was. So, um, but now, you know, you can find anything on YouTube or on the internet. And I found it recently, I think on Tubi or something like that, but it was free and watched on Halloween. Yeah, I mean, that's the fun part about stuff like that. Is that Halloween is always like traditional stuff, but sometimes I even make... Uh, uh, I'll make July like horror month for myself. I'll entertain myself and declare uh, a, a good time to start watching horror movies again. But I know in October, my brothers are like that too. It's like uh, my brother Mike would do a one watch a one horror movie a day for the 31 days of October thing. And he's done, my brother Mike's done it for years now. It's got to be like. 20 years he's doing it now and he'll always post a movie on Facebook or social media that he's watching and I always tell my brother you're able to stick to that and, and he usually does but um, yeah that's the, that's the great part about to me it's never you know Christmas movies you watch at Christmas time like you mentioned before Miracle on 34th Street <clears throat> and you feel weird watching that in July or August but the good thing uh, and I do I mean Marching Wooden Soldiers me watching in May it's weird to me but a horror movie you can watch or a classic horror movie like Abbott Costello Nosferatu other things we'll get as Creature of Black Lagoon you can watch it anytime and it's not a, a bad it's not seasonal right for old movies for horror yep. it's not seasonal it's not seasonal yeah no the season of the witch is perpetual it is true, but you know what I'm saying? Because usually uh, Christmas, uh, theme movies or biblical stuff, it's just a time you'll go and watch them. But uh, you can pop those movies on at any time, and it's, 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 it seems like any time is the right time to watch an old horror movie. Listen, if you want to stay, if you want to keep consistent with some sort of religious holiday theme or whatever, look hard enough, you'll find some religion that has some celebration that dates back to something dark and evil. <laughs> that has something to do with, you know, evil spirits or trying to keep away evil spirits. So no problem. You can always make it fit into whatever holiday you want. No, uh, not- it's, tr- it's true, but, but even... You know, that has nothing to do with it, but it does in a way was someone uh, like Elf was on the other day, the Will Ferrell movie. And I don't want to watch it. Like the holidays have passed and I like turned it off. Like I'm like, it's not Christmas. It almost is embedded in my head that that's a Christmas movie. And it's like it's freaking middle of January at this point. I don't want to watch this again. But if it was if it was uh, Will Ferrell in a horror movie, I probably would have watched it. You know what I'm saying? So that's the funny thing. It what gets into your mind about proper protocol I'm a, I'm a rebellious person in general but when it comes to christmas i i can't watch it outside of seasonal but again good horror movie two o'clock in the morning five o'clock in the morning on a tuesday if i i'm in the mood i'll put it on that's the great thing about horror movies yeah that, that is true and you know everyone has their own code so you're allowed to have your own bushido that, that's true it, yeah, it's, that's true that's unique to you you don't need to explain to, to anyone hey you you live alone right uh, yes, you're a, a sing- little, uh, you're a single man, you know, so you can, you can do what you want when you want. Um, I, I, I say fly solo, it sounds better than live alone. That's true. Well, yeah, fly solo, that's right. <laughs> that's I mean, uh, that, uh, my fellow uh, solo people. That's the way we even say, Hey, everybody, let me, ah, I'm rocking it solo. Like, you know, it's like, Yes, I'm still living alone. I'm, I'm just saying, it's funny. That's the way I have a lot of single friends who live by themselves, too. Uh, you know, just my single female friend of mine who's been she's lived by herself forever 
even when she's dating people, just like move anybody in until when she's literally going to get married to them. And I kind of have the same kind of code too. Um, you know, it's just playing house, so to speak. But so she got a dog. So she was like, oh, I can't say I'm by myself. My dog, like, you know, now my dog, can I consider my dog like almost like my roommate? And it's, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's getting to that point. It's getting to that point. I said, I guess I don't live alone either. I got my cat, you know, so I guess we don't live alone, technically. We were joking about that the other day. It's funny you brought that up. Yes, well, it's it's true. Everything, well, everything can dovetail into something. That, that it's true. We can go in a lot of different directions, I'm sure. But yeah, it's like when people say, what are you doing? And you say nothing versus hanging out. It's an entirely different connotation, even though the action is precisely the same. That's true. Is anything ever actually nothing? Right. That's right. Everything is something. So <laughs> Everything's something, right. So pro tips, kids, if people ask you what you're doing, never say nothing. Say hanging out. Or you, or you can say, I got, a, I got a few minutes, right? I got a few minutes. Yeah. Like, you know, in other words, you might be busy shortly, but right now you're free. That's, that's true. The only problem with when you say I got a few minutes, if they're selling some multi-level thing, then they're going to take that as an opportunity to. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about like if a relative calls, actually. Yeah. You think you're safe from relatives on that? If, you're, if my aunt calls, like, am I catching? No, I, I, I do this too. I don't know if you do. I go, am I catching you in a bad time? I always say it that way. Am I catching you in a bad time? I always do that to people. It's like, no, no, you're calling, didn't call any time. I'm like, okay, I'll call you at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> what a thoughtful boy. What a thoughtful boy. I never I never say that, but then again, I barely ever call anyone, so what can I oh, say? Oh, no, no, it's just, it's just embedded in me, and I do it all the time. And a matter of fact, I even did it one time when someone was expecting my call at that time. I was like, I'll call, I'll call you at 5, and I'll call him at 5.02, and I'm like, am I catching you at a bad time? Is it the, the two minutes that something happened in those two minutes that I didn't catch you at 5, it's now 5.02? I don't know what got me so neurotic like that, but I actually do that when I talk to people, and I gotta talk to people still for a living because of the bands. A band still like calling, uh, you know, when they book and confirm dates, and they have a lot of questions, so despite the technology person-to-person uh, -person talk is still very uh, prominent in my life. Oh, yeah. In oh, my, no, 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 I don't mind it. Obviously, I'm a talker, so it doesn't bother me. So. <laughs> well, in my real life, I, I am on the phone all day long. Yeah, you too. Yeah, you too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I literally have uh, X number of appointments every single day. They're designated for certain slots. So, I, I you know, I use up all my, you know, niceness and, and cordiality <laughs> for, you know, for clients and customers and coworkers and stuff like that, which is important. And, and by the end of the day, I just, I really don't want to talk to anybody. But then again, I'm doing all these shows. So I guess it's different talking into the, the vacuum of a microphone or on YouTube or whatever. Exactly. So let's get back on track where I took us off track. Yay me. Right. Um, so should we go to, yeah, like, so which was like your first memory of like a monster movie? Um, honestly, the early memories would be probably uh, Frankenstein. Frankenstein's the first monster. I remember five, six, seven years old. I don't remember it. Anybody who remembers three, four years old, that I don't have that wonderful memory. I'm about kindergarten and on, which would be about five or six uh, age. Um, but before five, when I was like, oh, when I was three, I'm like, I... I don't have that kind of memory. I have a good memory, but not like that. Um, so I would say five or six, uh, watching Frankenstein, Grandfather's House. They were living in Brooklyn at the time. It'd be, oh, there's a monster movie on. I remember Grandfather says, want to see the monster movie? And I would just be like, uh, yeah, no, it's good. Come here, come here. And, with, and I just remember my grandfather, Carmelo. He'd just be, the way he would even you know say, hey, come watch the monster movie. 
He was like, oh, when I was a kid, and they'd get into the story when this movie came out, he remembers when it came out and how old he was. And I just remember that kind of stuff. And my father would chime in, but ah, Grandpa showed me this too. And I, and I did that kind of stuff, like that kind of family, traditional, here's a movie that we all enjoy. Now you can watch it. Don't be scared. It's not. And I don't remember being scared. I remember being intrigued by it. Like, big difference. I was intrigued to the point of they had... Before Fangoria, there was a hor- other horror magazine movie um, magazines out in the seventies. I don't remember the, the the working titles. I'd have to go back, but there was something like Monsters or something like that yeah. on the title. Yeah. Creature Creature Features or mm-hmm. something like that. And I would wait. Were, I got cre- into, creature yeah, Features was the the movie like every Saturday. The the movie Creature right, right, right. Features. But there would be magazines called monsters or creatures or something on the magazine title before i got into wrestling magazines and before uh wrestling took over my life in 1979 1980 in the you know 74 75 76 again five six seven eight years old i would uh if i could ever get one my father was just you know want to drop 50 cents 75 cents a dollar how much it costs i'd be like dad can i get this or whatever and i remember just remember a monster magazine or maybe my grandfather would buy it for me if i was out and about with him but usually it was my dad and I would get one, and the Creature of the Black Lagoon would be on the cover, or one of the, uh, you know, uh, mon- classic monsters, because that's what I saw. I didn't, obviously, the Halloweens came in 1978, and more modern stuff, but in the early to mid-70s, it was all still the classic monsters uh, that, I, that I would watch, and anything that I saw, Mummy, Creature of the Black Lagoon, I wanted it. I would get the toys that they had, they would have uh, even a color form set. Remember color forms? Sure. Shrinky things, uh, too. Yeah, well, color forms in, in 75, 76 were big, and there was a color form game of the monsters, uh, and a, like a, a haunted mansion kind of thing, and Dracula was one, and then all the different monsters again. I had invisible, it. I had no, that. Did you have that? Yeah, an invisible yeah. man, all the creatures. Right. It was like five you know, stories, you, there was an attic, there was a basement, and you yeah, could... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, and I remember that was mid-70s. So I was into monsters before I was into wrestling. The way a kid would be into dinosaurs, I would equate... The later on 90s Jurassic Park resurgence of kids getting into dinosaur culture, I was into, again, anything that was a monster. I remember even wanting to get something uh, like a Creature of the Black Lagoon uh, figure. It was, a, it was a cast model figure. Uh, that it was like a little bit too much money. I did wind up having a Frankenstein and a Wolfman figure, um, Dracula. Those were easy to come by. But I remember I saw the creature of Black Lagoon in this hobby store. Uh, I can't remember the name of the store, but I remember specifically. It was this die-cast model, big model, creature of Black Lagoon. And I guess it probably was $20. And to me, it, was, it might as well have been $200 sure. in 1976. If it was 1999, that was too rich for my father's blood. Anyways, but, but I would always see it when I went to the store and I would dream about when I get a job, I could buy this. And I'm like eight, you know, like I didn't, I, my job wouldn't come till about age 16, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, but I just, well, not true. I was a paper boy when I was 12, 13, but and I, I would see the, this thing, this creature, and I'll be the guy, you know, how much is this? Oh, it's twenty dollars. If I was like, I'm not buying that. Like that's too maybe for Christmas. Now on Christmas I wound up getting a Godzilla, a big Godzilla thing. Uh, who I was also into, like I said, it's a different type of monster, but Godzilla King Kong, King Kong vs. Godzilla, the Japanese imported movies, Mothra, all that stuff, Rodan. So the Monsters was a huge part of my life, my brothers too, up until we discovered wrestling. Monsters ruled basically in my house uh, up until 79, 80, and then wrestling 
took it all. It is a correlation to wrestling because wrestling took my attention away. But as a teenager, I got back into horror. But as a little kid, and again, Bigfoot was popular. If you remember the Bigfoot lore, Loch Ness Monster, all the stuff that could be real monsters in real life, any Bigfoot book, any Loch Ness Monster, every correlation to monsters, mythical or otherwise, was... I was all about it in the 70s, and God, I wish I saved a lot of those things that uh, I'm talking about now that I did. From the color forms to the figures, not even for value, but just to, I mean, it would bring me back to that time. I don't have anything from that era. That's what sucks. Uh, My wrestling stuff, yes, but my monster collection, my Godzilla, all that stuff, I don't have any of that stuff. I don't even know what happened to it. I have three questions for you, and and they're not all necessarily related to one another. The Godzilla that you had, was it the one with you push the button and the fists sort of flew yes. out? Yep, yep, and uh, you pl- press down the back of his neck and the Wait. fire out of, out of the tongue mouth right. came out. Yep. I, yep, I absolutely had that one. Oh, great, yeah, me too, yeah, that was a big deal. It sure was. Okay, and then another question for you. Did you ever, or like when, I'm sure you had to in like high school or college or something, but did you ever read the book Frankenstein? Uh, yeah, I read the book Frankenstein, I, I when did I read it? Uh, to be honest with you, I was reading monster books when I learned how to read, and I would go to the library, and I read books. I took out monster books and stuff about, oh, even Edgar Allan Poe stuff. I was reading at age 9 or 10, uh, just because anything that was monster-related or a horror story, I would read it, and I would read, take out books on Frankenstein and Mary Shelley and all that stuff. Uh, as, a, as a young kid, probably when I look back now, I'm like, wow, when I was eight or nine, I was taking out some more adult-oriented books because once I learned how to read, I was good to go to read anything. I remember back, you know, Jeff, in the 70s, in the mid, especially mid-70s, before 78, 79, talking four, five, six, seven, there wasn't a lot to do besides go for a young kid, go to the movies on weekends with parents, watch television, or read a book. There was not play Monopoly or Payday or something like that, but there was not a lot for us to do. You know, if we were downtime at home, was in front of the television, or you were reading a book, and that's what I would do. I'd read a lot of books. Did you read Frankenstein or reread it ever as an adult? I didn't reread it as an adult, no. I remember reading it in the 70s, but I couldn't tell you what age. Okay, do you remember when you read it how different it was from the movies? Yes. That I remember, yeah. I mean, a lot of books are different from movies. That's where I learned in the 70s uh, things that were a movie, and then you'd see the movie that, oh, it's different from the book. You know what I'm saying? From everything, from even uh, Charlotte's Web, Animal Farm, anything that they made a book out of, um, you know, Super Fudge or some of these other things that we read when we were kids, and then you'd see the movie or a TV version of it or a cartoon version of it. It wouldn't be exact. The characters would kind of have the same names, but a lot of this, uh, things would change. Obviously, that's when I learned that uh, book to movie or to TV show transfer wasn't always the same. Did At what point did you realize that Dr. Frankenstein was the monster? I ne- again, I learned that Frankenstein wasn't exactly Frankenstein. It was the monster. But it was such a cultural thing to always call the monster who just had the name the monster. It was really the monster. There was no right. name. He wasn't Steve or, you know, <laughs> you know Seth. It was the, he wasn't the, no, he was <laughs> Seth. never Frankenstein. The Frank, Dr. Frankenstein was the 
the man who gave him life. Yep. Now, what you can think of is he took the name Frankenstein because it was almost like his son, so he inherited the name. It was almost like a you know an extension of him. So that that's why he's he is Frankenstein because he's like gave life to this guy. So it's kind of like he's the father. So he gave him his name. But the Doctor Frankenstein never declared that creature named Frankenstein. We did as a culture. No, he, no, he, spe know? he specifically didn't name him. That's all. I mean, it was no, sort he of... Didn't. No, 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 no. We, we all think that he did. That's what I'm saying. Like, we thought that he named... That, that he was named Frankenstein from the movie, but no one ever called the monster, the creature, Frankenstein. No one ever called him that except the fans who watched it. We did. It, it was you sort know, of the, like Genesis gone wrong. It's like, you know, yes. God, God named Adam, but uh, Frankenstein, Dr. Victor Vaughn, basically eschewed his his child didn't even give him a name and rejected him ever since and the whole thing was like the monster going well what did you expect me to be i'm just trying to survive out here you i can't you, be the creature right i mean it, it, it was actually a bleak and sad book and and victor von frankenstein was was the villain the the, the monster i mean sure he did monstrous things but he he was a monster <laughs> and and it didn't have to be that way it was, it was it's it's actually bleakly sad and the the thing is i reread it probably within the last 10 years there like when oh, nice. au when audio audiobooks came out like i discovered this thing called the gutenberg library and like all these public domain books you could download them so i actually went on a binge there was a time in my life where i read like two or three books a week that's great and so i would read at least one book for pleasure then I would read one classic, sometimes for pleasure, but just to force myself to reread it. And then I would also read one of those like epic poems like Paradise Lost or something like that, just to, I don't know, just to say that I reread it. I cannot honestly say that I understood all of them any better than I did when in 10th grade English they made me read them. But I but I did it. I can, I can honestly say I read The Epic of Gilgamesh. I read Paradise Lost. I read The Aeneid, you know, all recently. Um, you know, uh, but I, when I read Frankenstein again as an adult, I'm like, "What the hell am I reading here?" I'm like, "This is this is not what I was raised to believe." It's amazing, and you know, there's a, um, in a way a weird correlation to the Incredible Hulk, uh, the TV series, uh, because he was never called the Hulk; it was the creature, and it was David Banner, but but he never had a name. But he. We made up the name the Hulk, but we, as a fan, obviously Stan Lee made up the name the Hulk. But I'm just saying that he was never called the Hulk on the TV series at all. If you ever remember, it's like the creature, the creature. Even yep. in the introduction, the creature is driven by rage. They never call him the Hulk. You know, it's it's Hulk. You know, like oh, there's a Hulk loose in our town. And the, and the TV series in the '70s, like I said again. He, we, we just called him that because we were used to. No one called him the creature. And I, again, I've never heard. Now I heard people call Frankenstein the Frankenstein monster. Yes, that you've heard, right? Well, yes. you've heard the Frank, the Frankenstein monster. So you're almost distinguishing between the two of Doctor Frankenstein. The he's the Frankenstein monster. He put the monster next to it, and that's probably what do you think? Uh, what the people of the uh, you know the book uh, was meaning people to do is refer to him as the Frankenstein monster. I don't... And not, not call him Frankenstein, the creature. I'm not sure what Mary Shelley's intention was. The interesting thing is that her father was a follower of Galvini, who was basically a, a flim-flam fringe scientist who tried to reanimate people and, and do treatments using electricity to, like, get muscle stimulation. And basically, yeah. basically the 
444 father of electroshock therapy, but also like, you know, if you get PT, you'll get TENS units where you have, you know, little volts of electricity going through your muscles to, you know, keep them warm and, and soft or whatever and moving. Um, and so it's a real technology, but he was just doing it sort of willy-nilly, but he had followers. He, he had like, you know, almost cults, and, and her father was one of Galvini's patients and one of his patrons. She, she came from a very wealthy family. And so she was very much influenced by galvanization, uh, which is obvious how, how it came to be. But I think that her book was, you know, I, I think it was a criticism of, of God, sort of, and and well, not God, but religion. But it was, uh, but you're, it's funny that you mentioned the the seventies or early eighties Hulk series because it's like they took elements of Frankenstein and Jekyll and Hyde and put them yes. together. Because Doctor, because Mister Hyde had a name. Do, there was Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, but that version of the Hulk was Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. But was, mis, yeah. mis, but Mister Hyde didn't even get a name there. Nope. And the thing about Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde is. If you read that book also, we're never really sure which one is is the dominant person. Is the which one was which one was born that way and which one was the cover? Yeah, it's a good again, it, it you it leaves up to interpretation of the viewer or the, the person reading or watching it. Um, again, you know, some uh, you know, Jack, Jekyll and Hyde is supposed to be when you think you even hear, Jeff, to this day, some people will use that old reference. I do it, too. That guy or that girl is like a Jekyll and Hyde, you know. Mm-hmm. Or my, bro- my brother's acting like a Jekyll and Hyde or my boss is this Jekyll and Hyde. Now, if someone who's like uh, maybe 16 or 17 go, what does that mean, you know? Well, it means uh, one way or the other, good or bad. Well, who's the good guy? Well, Jekyll would be good and Hyde would be the, the bad, shady character or the criminal element. And the, the, the good, decent person would be Jekyll. At least that's the way it's supposed to be set up. You know, but I think I said Jekyll and Hyde one time in front of someone who was like a young person, like, what's Jekyll and Hyde? What is that? <laughs> I was like, Jekyll, it's a reference, a move, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I swear to God, looked at me, oh, it's one of my band members that I managed, uh, who's about 18, 19 years old, a young drummer. And it was like, I never heard it. I go, you never heard of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? He's like, no, nah, I never heard of it. And then he looked it up on his phone. It was really funny because he then, you know, uh, looked like, there's movies about this? I'm like, oh my God. I says, yeah, yeah, this, I go, dude. Please. I says, what's next? You never heard of Jaws? No, right. that I heard of. That's the shock, right? I'm like, oh, God. And, and probably so, uh, probably somewhere on that guy's body is a tattoo of the yin and the yang. Yeah, that's, I explained it to him in that way, but it's interesting that, again, there's certain things that we say. And then, because old school stuff was handed down to us from our parents, and things are parents or grandmothers or grandfathers would say uh and just culturally you just think there's certain terminologies you use even to this day that can go back a hundred years and you'll be like oh this. and but, but right not everybody knows everything or, or is, is hip to all that jargon uh so it was funny when i thought he was messing with me he goes what's jekyll and hyde i go oh stop it and he really literally did not know and looked it up on his phone he goes oh it's like a good and bad and i'm like yeah it's great he goes, but who's good and who's bad? I go, Jekyll's good, Hyde is bad. Why is Hyde bad? Because it's just set up that way. <laughs> so I, I didn't even get into the whole thing, but I, we had a conversation about that. So, yeah, I says, uh, Mr. Hyde is bad. Mr. Hyde is the devious, evil one, and Jekyll is the normal, rational one, supposedly. 
Well, you know? Right, maybe. Who knows? They're, I mean, they're, right. both, they're both the same guy, so it's... Uh, the you same know? guy, right, exactly. Oh, but I told him uh, Jekyll and Hyde is... Uh, Jekyll has a normal... Uh, when he's Mr. Hyde, he looks uh, demented, you know, like unhinged, and his hair is out and his eyes are bulging out. Mr. Hyde is uh, obviously uh, looks like uh, unraveled. And Dr. Jekyll is uh, prim and proper. That's the way I describe it. It's true, and and Hyde definitely was described a little bit more, uh, you know, I guess ape-like or apish, thuggish. Yes, but, yeah, like a crow, crow magnum man. Yeah, yeah but, but Hyde also was sort of a ladies' man. Was Hyde a ladies' man? I didn't realize. Yeah, like 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 he he didn't, he, I didn't realize that. he didn't just pounce on them. He would like find them and they like sort of seduce them, and oh it, it was almost God. like a Jack the Ripper kind of thing. It was it was it it's. It's weird, you know, and, and, it, and it may be subject to the interpretation of the reader, but that, that I remember thinking, isn't Hyde supposed to be really ugly? But, like, you know, maybe his, maybe it's animal magnetism. I don't, I don't know, but it was, it was odd. A lot of these uh, old monster movies, though, I mean, the, the monster wasn't really the villain. The monster was just as much a victim. And then at some point we changed to, like, exploring, like, pure evil and now I think we're sort of turning again to, you know, getting into mixed and, and uh, metaphors and things like that. But, you know, like King Kong was and Mighty Joe Young, they were both taken out of their, you know, their utopian inhabitant uh, habitations. Right. Um, and, and they didn't appreciate they didn't appreciate that very much. Not not one bit. Not one no, they, bit. And they, they, they had to die for it, actually. And uh, it's funny because actually Jekyll and Hyde plays into our... Uh, I, I don't think they would consider them part of the universal monster uh, wheel, but they do play into it because even like uh, Jekyll and Hyde, the, the picture, uh, what was the name of it? Um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the film was like 30s. I think it was 31 or 32 when it came out. Yep, 31. I just looked it up. Uh, and that's that's a good picture, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, and that was considered a, a monster movie in a way. I mean, the book... Uh, the case of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, uh, the, the novel came out in like 1886, yeah, yeah. That, that book. And, um, What's the Robert was, Louis Stevenson? Uh, it was by, yeah, Robert Louis Stevenson. There it is. Yeah, he, um, he wrote uh, either Treasure Island or, or Robinson Treasure, Crusoe. Yeah I, think it was, yeah, I think it was Robinson Crusoe, right. Um, and again, and even looking here, back in the day, it made over $1 million at the box office. So that's amazing. I mean, in 1931, that would today probably be, what would, it, what would that be today, Jeff, and money? Maybe uh, $50 million probably I, today? I have no idea, man. I yeah, really... I mean, like a million dollars in 1931. I mean, it's got to be, you know, how many, you know, 20 times over today, maybe even long more. But and then, then again, a movie back then I think was 50 cents or even 30 cents. Um but again, it it goes into the wheelhouse of uh, the monster movies because Hyde was considered a monster. So it's kind of a monster movie, you know. So I would put it in the category of uh, I would put Jekyll and, I, and Invisible Man too. Throw him in there with with the other monsters we were talking about. And and uh, Jekyll and I think was scary because when anything that trans again, what's the difference of uh, Jekyll transferring into Mister Hyde drinking a potion? Of the Wolfman, uh, the moon comes out. He transfers into he's a man to a wolf. So Jekyll and Hyde, Wolfman similarities there, a transformation. Very, you know? very much similar. And these yeah. these books, they're all short. So for those listeners who are thinking about reading them, don't be intimidated because they're books. I mean, most of these books are under two hundred pages long. Yeah, 
Then I, yeah, then I, people, what, I'm sure anybody who's even listening to this, like, oh, that, that, oh my God, that book in 18 such and such, it's probably 5,000 pages. Because we have this thing back in the old days, people, you know, probably wrote a book for a year or whatever, or it took a long time, so the pen to paper, it's probably a massive book, but it's really not that big at all. Yeah, uh, it's fine. There's, this is a side topic entirely, uh, well, sort of. But Charles Dickens, who was very, very successful for his times, um, was sort of like a spendthrift or the opposite of a spendthrift. Uh, and, he, and he basically was facing bankruptcy and uh, some of his later books were failures. And so he had to self-finance and self-publish A Christmas Carol, which you know then became one of the most successful books of all time, and you know, but his story might have been very different if he didn't write a Christmas Carol, which is, by the way, sort of a horror story in and of itself. Um, but um, I wanted to uh, talk about Dracula a little bit because then there's just the you know sort of the historic classic version of Dracula, and then there was actually Bram Stoker's Dracula uh, with. Yeah. Uh, was it Gary Oldman? Gary Oldman, yeah, Gary Oldman. And then Netflix did a recent update. And, and I mean, Dracula is one of those recurring characters, partly because it's public domain, but one of those fascinating characters that, you know, they never really, well, well, the Gary Oldman movie they tried to, they, they never really tell you how Dracula became Dracula. Like, right. you, like where did vampires come from? And, and so, like the the latest thing seems to be, you know, like you know, like with the strain and the passage, and twenty eight days that it, it's like a virus uh, that makes this. But you know, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, it was, it was basically he lost his wife and he, you know, basically yelled at God and God cursed him. Um, uh, you know, so no one's really, you know, ever explain where Dracula came from and there's sort of like vampire myths all over the world if you look hard enough yeah I mean Dracula I remember you know everyone kind of skipping over a major Dracula film that I think is very underrated in the annals of Dracula history is the one Frank Langella in the 70s yep. remember that Dracula? sure do that was a great Dracula a very good version of Dracula I, I like that Dracula with Langella better than the one with Gary Oldman 15 years later. Uh, I like that one a lot better. Uh, and it's on every now and then on the cable stations. I think it was on Showtime or Cinemax not that long ago. And I'm watching the trailer for it. And I remember being in the theaters in the mid-70s, probably during Saturday Night Fever or something like that, the trailer for Dracula came on. Uh, and that was, Frank Langella was a real uh, handsome guy, suave, but perfect for Dracula. I mean, he was really, really, I only, I, mean, I know he had a career after that, but he never really went on to major success. The movie was a moderate success, Dracula in the 70s with Langella. It wasn't a smash hit, but uh, I remember when the Oldman one came out, I, I remember even seeing that in the movies with Keanu Reeves and whoever else was in that with Ona Ryder. And I was just like, man, I, I like the 79 one better. I was kind of, I didn't even like his interpretation of Dracula. And even though people were like, oh, this is more to the real character of Dracula than the Langella, obviously the Lugosi one, uh, you know, this is more what Dracula is. And it really actually, I, I guess it is and it isn't at the same time. Um, I always found Gary Oldman to be an over-actor anyway. He kind of got on my nerves. But uh, he still does to this day. If you've ever seen him in State of Grace, that, that's a rough watch. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, again, the Dracula has been interpreted. I don't just think by the actor, but the screenplay, the screenwriter, and you know who wrote the the the, 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 the screen the the writing for each movie. It was just the actor doing his job. When everyone's always like, oh, "Who's the best Dracula?" It's basically who's the one working with the material they had. You know what I mean, Jeff? It's like when people say, "Who did it the best?" It was the person who did it the best with the material that they got. You yeah, know I, mean? I agree. The the, the Gary Oldman version. And I don't know who the director was. I don't remember. But, yeah. I mean, they. I admire what they tried to do. And there were hits there. And it did try to stay close to the book uh, as well. But it also, there were some serious misses. And I think you're right. It, what, Gary Oldman overacted. But the but the director also over-directed. I mean, everything was over-stylized and overdone. And, and you know, it was, it was you know, over-romanticized. Everything was a little bit too much, and then like even the like the sort of the bat creature thing that you know that was the special effects were awkward, and it's not because it was the 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 age we we had better special effects um, by that time. It's just uh, the it, it, the whole thing was a little bit off. But some you know somebody will do it again. Netflix actually did a three part updated version of of Dracula um, with a, a, a nun being the Van Helsing. Um, and it, it, it was, it's actually my favorite, maybe because it's the most recent and, but they took time because it was three sort of like mini movies. Um, so it was, uh, I don't know if you haven't seen it, I recommend checking it out. Okay. It's, it's, um, the first part of it is, is Dracula back in the day. And then the second part of it is he, uh, oh, he, he's, well, I don't want to tease anything, but the, the first part ends with his journey across the English Channel going to, uh, I guess it's London or England, uh, the Cliffs of Dover. It, the, but the, the next two episodes, I believe, are him in the modern day, and he acclimates very well, which really shouldn't surprise us because he was alive for five or six hundred years, and he's used to things changing. Um, but it, it it's actually pretty cool, and it's a nice little uh, compromise between the uh, Bella Lugosi, um, uh, Frank Langella, Dracula, and the Oldman one. I think they actually did a pretty good job with it. But yeah, the, the Frank Langella, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Dracula on Broadway for a while, and didn't he reprise he that did. role? He did, and because um, I'm looking up the stats now, actually it was more than a moderate hit. It made 32 million dollars on a 12 million dollar budget in 1979, which is a big hit. It made three times the money back, so that's considered a hit, especially in the 70s. Uh, yeah, he did the stage, uh, the, the Broadway stage adaptation, and uh, what a cast this was too. In the 79 film, it was uh, Franklin Jella, Lawrence Olivier, Donald Pleasance, and Kate Nelligan. Wow. So all very highly decorated actors in that film, and it was billed more as a, a, a more romantic Dracula. That I remember, because I remember my mom thinking he was so handsome. Well, my mom had a big crush on Frank Langella. Uh, yeah, it was billed as more of a romantic love story with horror elements to it. There was some, there was blood, there was the vampire, him killing some people. But it, it was more of a romanticism of vampires. So yeah, I think he was more of that guy. 
Like, because obviously Bela Lugosi, I guess in 1931, maybe women thought he was handsome or whatever. But you know, not he's not a traditionally handsome guy. Frank Langella is a, clearly a handsome guy. So I think they tried to make him almost like they tried to. I don't know if they dumbed him down. I wouldn't say that because there was some there was a, some brutal kills in the movie Dracula in '79. But uh, they definitely tried to more romanticize him as a almost like a Svengali type of guy uh, of uh, not just a killer, but he would romanticize, uh, romance these women as well, uh, not just for blood, but just for, you know, kind of being, uh, uh, again, uh, you know, uh, they took it in a different direction, but they actually even called this, uh, critics called it a, a romantic Dracula, a love story version of Dracula. Right. Because I think the, he, f he fell for Kate Nelligan, like he actually literally felt human feelings for her. Well, if you remember about seven or ten years before that, the, maybe less, there was the Christopher Lee version, which yes. was more the monster Dracula. So it was it was almost like a contrast to that. And then, of course, around the same time, probably like 1979 or 19, to 1981, there was the George Hamilton, Hamilton Love at First Bite comedy <laughs> spoof. No, I mean, love, it for, love It First Bite, I remember. I saw that in the movies as a kid. I saw Love It First Bite. That was pretty good. Uh, the movie was a f fun, little, fun little film. It was a fun uh, little film. Was that a young Jim Carrey in it? Um, was that not. Jim Carrey in it? I don't know, actually. That's a good question. I don't know. Oh, no, Jim Carrey was in Once Bitten. Right, 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 right. Once Bitten. Yeah. That's right. Which was uh, 80, 87, 88, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Carrey would have been too young for that other one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Phantom of the Opera, was that a horror, uh, horror film, monster movie, or not? Phantom of the Opera, yeah, that would be that too. That would go into that category. Phantom of the Opera, just like Jekyll and Hyde, he would definitely be in that category. And of course, when the face mask came off and you're sitting at the piano and then the mask fully comes off his face again, the teeth, the bulging eyes, the pale skin, the... the the you know the the patches of missing hair and some hair on the sides, but you know again looked like a demented uh, you know uh, uh, I wouldn't say a clown, but he had a pretty horrifying face too, much like Nosferatu. Terrified I mean, he me. Had, he had, yeah, he had big block teeth. They weren't fangs. The Phantom have, but he was clearly disfigured. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was I remember. Well, he was burned in the fire. Yeah, with the fire, right? Clearly, so clearly his lips or something was up. But I just remember those huge teeth that like look three times the size of a normal person because his his upper gums, I think, or his lips were all uh, burned off. Mm -hmm. That's why his teeth look so large. But they were probably actually only normal teeth, but just completely exposed with the gum line, um, which I think any person would look if you open their mouth wide like that. But to us, it was horrifying. But the bulging eyes and again the the burnt. Uh, but I don't remember him looking all burnt, uh, burnt and charred. He looked kind of all uh, pasty and white and, and uh, almost like he hadn't slept in 100 years. That's, that was more of his look, right? Well, all I, I, all I, I know is it terrified up, right? me. He wasn't burnt, you know? I, I, I rem well, I know that was the story. I, I don't remember because I think, uh, you know, it's been so long, but it scared the hell out of me. That, that image was so terrifying. And, and and the and the poor schlub, he was he was so like the hunchback of Notre Dame. He was just in love with the girl. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And again, uh, the, yeah, same concept. I mean, again, there's always a, a heroine or some girl that gets his the, the, their eye. It's a particular woman. There's always uh, a romanticism involved. And I think all these stories, and even that's 
something really to touch upon. I mean, Creature from Black Lagoon, his obsession with the, with that woman who he wanted to, you know, brought down to his lair or whatever, and then kidnapped her. Frankenstein uh, got obsessed with pretty women. Uh, Dracula, obviously, uh, they would say more for the blood, but he didn't bite too many men. It was always women. He would kill men, but bite the women mostly. Um, I think even the mummy had a fascination with women. If you watch the old mummy, he, he set his eyes on a, on a female. And I, get, and I get back then, the heroine, that was the whole shtick, that was the whole, you know, today it's a, probably a little bit different, but uh, Invisible Man too is uh, a pursuit of a woman. Uh, when he was, before he became the Invisible Man, his lost love. So all of, isn't that interesting, the correlation there is all the pursuit or... Um, because either they were involved at one time when they were normal and they're going to get a lost love, or it's a, reje- a person who rejected them, uh, or someone they just saw and caught their eye and their heart strings. That's the, the theme of all those horror movies. Isn't that interesting of, uh, that there is a, a female involved? It's almost like you actually you can't name one that's not. Phantom of the Opera 2 is obsession with the, with a woman. Uh, uh, again, uh, that's the theme. I can't think of any that don't have that concept. Can you? Um, not from the day. I, I mean, they were, they all had the a, a very... Maybe not the Wolfman, but the Wolfman, the Wolfman in the original Wolfman, Lon Chaney Sr., was in pursuit of... A, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. no, the, the famous scene is him, you know, carries, she's fainted and he's carrying yes. her, like, over the threshold, except he's jumping around in a forest. Isn't that something, though? It's, it's always about that, and I never really gave it that much thought, but now that I think about it, I'm like, Jekyll and Hyde, same thing, too. The woman loved him as Jekyll and not as Hyde, and... It's amazing. It's like the same. It's there. It's 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 like a. It, I guess there is a romanticism and a and a, and a more. Uh, it's about it's about relationships almost. It's, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's 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 twisted. It's a it's a bizarre thing. It's almost like every everybody needs somebody kind of thing. It's like everybody like that song. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's it's almost, even monsters need love too. I think yeah. they should call it. Monsters don't like going solo. Kevin, they Except, don't like yeah, Monsters don't like the creature in Black Lagoon is not feeling uh, being in the lagoon by himself. He's like, I got all this space to swim. It'll be great to have someone alongside me here. Yeah, even, uh, even when we do light fair here in the Garden of Doom, we still have to be at least the thinking man's nonsense. No, no, but that's good too because the only film I can think about that has nothing to do with a heroine or a female, not in a pursuit uh, where the monster's pursuing a female, would be Jaws. Jaws just indiscriminately, the shark killed mostly men, if you notice the film. There was one woman in the beginning of the film who was swimming naked. And that. Yeah, but sure. the rest of the film, he was killing guys. And it was all guys on the boat. So again, that's, uh, I guess, when it's a. Uh, a, a real legitimate, a tangible monster, or a grizzly bear, a you know, a movie about a killer bear, or a killer ape, or something. It, it, it's more of a man killer, like even a lion is a man eater. But when it's a monster, or, or a monster, or it's made up from a novel, or it's taken from a book, it's always a woman involved, or it's always a pursuit of a woman, or a rejection from a woman. Uh, that's the interesting part. I think the only horror when it's a you know, a monster, monster, just stepping on buildings. Godzilla's not. Godzilla's not after any particular female. He's just killing everybody. No, you know but, but Mothra was. Mothra was tied to the to the two little uh, Chinese uh, Japanese and, twins who lived true. in the. And, right, and King Kong was obviously uh, was a, it was a woman uh, yeah. with King Kong, but Godzilla is probably the only major creature where it's not a female storyline or a female in the storyline. Yeah, and, and listen, I just did it before. I said Garden of Doom is the thinking man's uh, <laughs> nonsense because you know we're all a creature of our era, to, you know. So that's how that's wired 
into even us. So God of Doom is the thinking person's nonsense, or men gender neutral, sort of writ large as, uh, as mankind. By the way, yeah. By the way, George Hamilton played uh, the love at first bite. Oh, I know. I, I thought that there was someone younger. Um, I thought, but uh, and it wasn't it Sybil Shepherd who was the the or, no no it was no, Kate no, Hutton. No, no. No, no, Susan St. James. Susan St. James. God, I'm bad, but good. Kate, Kate, but you're good. Kate, Kate and Allie. Remember Kate and Allie? Of course, yeah. sure, sure, of course. Um, okay, so this is going to be a tough one. Mm-hmm. Who is the best vampire and who is your favorite vampire? Because they're not necessarily the same, but they can be. From the movies? Yep. Uh, Frank Langella, I think, was the, was the best one. Again, uh, he embodied everything of... Uh, I mean, I remember even Siskel and Ebert agreeing on that movie, and I because I was watching old reviews of their old show in the seventies and eighties. When I mean, I realized they were doing it as a remote show from Chicago, and there's a lot of clips online of late seventies, early eighties. Siskel and Ebert before they became a national sensation, and I remember they reviewed Dracula, and they said that the way he portrayed it, you know, they almost mocked Lugosi with uh, overacting and the way he would emphasize blood and blah, 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 and, and make those blah, blah, blah noises, and almost like, uh, you know, parody of itself, um, where Langello was this suave, elegant guy, and you kind of knew he was dangerous, but he was so, uh, you know, charming, and uh, that's the way Dracula should be, is like, you know, he, he, he's, he's almost like, a, he's this conniving, the ultimate, the ultimate con man, but so good at his gig. Uh, that he's dangerous behind this big facade. Uh, and he's not after your money, he's after your life. So, you know, he's a wealthy man, and he's a mansion, he's got a butler, he's got, you know, he doesn't need anything from you other than your blood. So I like the uh, concept of that. I didn't like him as an indiscriminate killer, uh, you know, as vampires got portrayed later on, where, like, Lost Boys and stuff like that, where, yeah, a little over there. We can even, you know, segue a little bit into that if you want to, uh, how vampires evolved, if you want to call it that, or just became almost pop culture. But I would say favorite would be Langella's portrayal. So much so, I'll probably even maybe watch it again tonight, now talking about it. Uh, worst one for me, I didn't like Gary Ullman. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't dig that part of Dracula. I actually found the movie to be very boring, and uh, I didn't. I thought he was overacting, and, and again, I just didn't, I wasn't digging the, the look of Dracula, his particular take on it. You know, yeah. and again, it was this, you know, the, the story itself. He was so also fam- strangely awkward for a 700-year-old being or however old he was supposed to be. Yeah, I, I, again, I just, you know, and again, some people will go and watch Langello and say, ah, he's like the Rico Suave of uh, Dracula. Yeah, yeah, but like remember just- when Langella's movie was made, 1979. So we're coming yeah. off, you know, we've got we've got the Manson, you know, you know, we've got, we, you sort of have the, charismatic cult leaders you have sort of the disco era you have sort of these charming charismatic uh you know you have the hippie um, culture you, shit, uh, people would say that they were influenced by james bond 007 kind of suave kind of character right. roger moore roger moore uh back you know moonraker and and spy who loved me and stuff big smash hits at the box office and again uh you know the the the, the highly the well-dressed you know, nice mannered, charming guy with a little bit of an accent. Uh, again, I think they, they, someone even said that where uh, the 79 version of Dracula, I was looking at a review that someone even referenced the James Bond of Dracula's, too suave for his own good, <laughs> almost to a degree. And again, 
well, you could say Bela Lugosi was uh, sophisticated and stuff and charming, but again, with his his pronunciation of some words, and I get it, he was Hungarian, it's the way he talked, but, uh, you know, the, I want to suck your blood kind of thing, that whole, people even say it to this day as a parody, when you think of Dracula, you think of, you even see uh, Hotel Transylvania where Adam Sandler was playing the Dracula, and he's like, uh, Dracula doesn't go blah, 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 that's like a joke on Bela Lugosi, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, he goes, when did I ever say blah, 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 when did Dracula ever say that? And it's almost like a part of the, the, the shtick of Bela Lugosi, put the cape in front of your face and come to me, you know, I want your blood. That's very, and to a kid today watching that, they would laugh at Bela Lugosi, probably like, oh my God, like really, this is this is Dracula? He's walking at her at a snail's pace and she can't run away? Like you would actually even question that, right? I do. Like, he's, he's across the room and he's slowly walking, to, and she knows he's bad, why does she run down the stairs? So again, back then, that was the whole thing, heroin's in trouble, probably could have got away very easily, and they just kind of stayed there and took it. Um but it was a different time. But the Langella thing, anybody who does listen to this, if you didn't see it, I'd be curious if anybody who watches the 1979 version and what they would think of it. Um, but I just think, again, there was something to the danger of him being so, you know, uh, in a fool's paradise way, a, a gentleman. But he was far from that, and he had bad intentions. But that was part of the deception. That's I think that's what Dracula is supposed to be about, deception. You know what I'm saying? Where you think like, oh, you know, uh, he's this guy in a tuxedo, he's coming down, but he's really this uh, vicious killer behind the scenes. Those are the scariest kind of people, in my opinion, because that's when you let your guard down. But when something is an obvious, disgusting, hideous, foul-smelling monster, you're not going to go anywhere near him. It's the people who lure you in, and then you're, 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 you, they got you. Those That's scary to me. The deception is scary. When something is obviously a danger, you're going to avoid it. And again, it would be uh, on its own because no one's going to want to be around it. So again, when when they have these depictions of vampires as just like uh, these out of like uh, Thirty Days of Night, which I'm sure you saw, right? Yep. Uh, and the great film, by the way, loved it. But their depictions of vampires is like they're subhuman, and they don't go back and transform into looking like normal people. They always look like that. yeah, they're more like zombies. Right, they're more like zombies. So again, I like the whole deceitful Jekyll and Hyde. I like that too, where he's one way this way, and then the next way he's ripping your lungs out. Well, the van, the Wolfman, Lon Chaney, nice guy, little neurotic, but he's like, you know, a guy drinking at the bar, but after midnight, you don't want to be anywhere near him. I love that. I love that aspect of my, of, uh, of scary movies because that's the scare. You don't know when he's going to turn. Is he going to turn on this guy? This guy seems to be his friend. You think he's going to turn on him when he turns into the werewolf? And then, you know, does he indiscriminately kill people? Or does he know, that's my friend, I'm not going to kill him. That guy, he's, he's good. He's all right. And then when he, they wind up murdering people who are close to them, you're like, oh, he's 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 totally fucked up, this guy. He did No, every, every, no one's off limits. Those are the kind of films that I like, you yeah. know? Yeah, they sort of pick their prey that night, depending on, you know, it's like, do you want Chinese or do you want pizza tonight? And you sort of figure it out. So, all right, I'm going to quick fire you a couple things. Did, sure. you, did you like Blade? Blade? Uh, not really. I wasn't a big, I'm not a big Wesley Snipes fan. Never was. Uh, I, I, he just never appealed to me uh, as an actor or as a draw or anything. So, I mean, I, I like the concept of the movie. I know it's from a comic book, but I, I, I I watched it, and I, I watched the one that Triple H did a cameo in. I think played three, it might have been or two. Um, but I never, I couldn't even go back and tell you the the storylines. Or, or I, watching it would be new again for me because it just went right over my head. I watched it, I thought it was okay. 
I, I really liked the first Blade. The second one was eh, and the third one was was just plain bad. I think I think uh, uh, Triple H was in the third, as was Ryan Ryan Reynolds before he was good in movies. That's right. Um, but he was the Daywalker. He was sort of a hybrid, and I thought that was pretty cool. What about uh, Underworld? What do you think about Underworld? Love that. Well, Kate Beckinsale is one of my fantasy dream girls. I love her. She'd be top five of all time. I just think she's super attractive, super charming. Uh, just a, 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 the epitome of what a real attractive woman looks like. Without ogling, oh, she's so hot. She's just uh, appealing on so many levels. So I loved her in that, in that uh, role, in that costume. Uh, she, I couldn't picture anybody else playing that character. Um, you know, there's so many of those films. I have about three or four of them on uh, DVD. Uh, the first one is my favorite, no yeah, doubt about it. The far. first, the introduction on the world, is my favorite. But but she, Kate Beckinsale, is fantastic. I mean, she's, uh, uh, you know, I didn't even care if I saw her in anything else. And when I saw her outside of the role of uh, the underworld role. It was always like, I remember she was in a movie Click with Adam Sandler, this comedy, and it was so weird to see her outside of that role. Yeah, no, she's um, she's the death dealer. She's the death dealer for Yeah, she's the death dealer, and she did it so good. And I think, uh, you know, listen, if she even goes, I don't know if she's one of those people who's like, oh, I don't want to just be known for Underworld. Not a bad gig, because I think all the films are pretty good. I think the last one, which might have been four or five, it got off the rails. But the first two, I liked. One great Two not bad, and then three, four, and eh, started to lose it after that. Yeah, I think that's a franchise that they got so intoxicated with making it a franchise, they forgot yeah. to tell the story. Yeah. And it also in, impacted them. I mean, I, I didn't love the guy, Michael Corvinus or Michael Court, whatever whatever his character's name was. I didn't yeah. think that he was great, but when they when they couldn't re-sign that actor or, and they didn't recast him, it sort of lost the heart of the story because the heart of the story was – him. I mean, he, he was supposed to be the bridge, uh, and then the bridge was oh, gone. About, uh, Scott Speedman? I have no idea what the guy's name was. Oh, oh, the guy who played the first one, the one who was kind of her interest or whatever they were, not romantically involved, but the, the guy who played the hybrid, the first one. Speedman. Right, yeah, he, he was the proof that their their species could uh, coexist and, and could breed. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't bring him back, but I know he went and did The Strangers instead of filming part two. He wound up being uh, in The Strangers with Liv Tyler, and which was a, you know, went on to be a classic uh, slasher film. So he, you know, I, I, but I, you don't hear about Scott Speedman to this day. I think nope. those were his two claim to fames was the first Underworld and The Strangers. So it's been a good decade since Speedman's been around. I, I didn't even know the fellow's name. So yeah, which, Scott Speedman. So which was your favorite werewolf movie? That's a toss-up. Uh, American Werewolf in London, probably number one. Agreed. That was uh, fantastic. I mean, just even the transformation when, uh, uh, you know, the, the song is playing and stuff. I mean, it was uh, a little bit of comedy to it. I mean, John mm -hmm. Landis, I think, directed that film, right? And, yep. Um, it, it had some, some comedy elements to him, but the wolf looked sick. And it was uh, a wolf on all fours. It wasn't like a wolf man. It was a wolf that would be down on all fours. Uh, so I, and just well, the wolf in the subway was so scary. That that movie was scary. I remember seeing that in the film. I was maybe 11, 12 years old in the, in the theaters. And that movie scared us. But remember the guy, David Norton, we knew him from the TV show Making It. And he sang the song Making It, and he was in the 7-Up commercial. So we thought 
you know, this guy's not going to be a horror movie. This has got to be like a comedy, right? And uh, it was far from, but there were some funny parts. Griffin Dune uh, is the, the deteriorating friend. Every time he saw him, he was disintegrating more from mm-hmm. death. What a, what a what an interesting concept of he was haunted by his friend that he couldn't save. And every time he saw his friend, he was decomposing more and more as he would in the ground. So it was really, a, I've never seen anything like that before. And you felt bad. For the ending, you felt bad when the wolf... You knew the werewolf had to be taken down. It was a vicious killer. I mean, it was killing women and children on the bus when it got in that bus and ripped through everybody. I thought it was fantastic. A werewolf that doesn't get a lot of love, that a lot of people go, ah, Kev, it looked like a you know Sasquatch. I mean, it didn't even look like... Silver Bullet with uh, Gary Busey and Corey Haim uh, back in 1985. Stephen King, uh, take off on the Stephen King novel. The Priest was the werewolf. No spoiler, everyone probably seen it at this point. <laughs> um, Silver Bullet I thought was great. I thought the ending was great with a werewolf came trying to kill the boy and the uncle and the sister were determined to protect him in the wheelchair uh, where he was coming to get the whole family and he was ripping the house apart from the inside out and uh, I thought that was good they only had one bullet in the chamber and the bullet falls on the floor and the uncle's fighting the werewolf and he, he, you know, and then the kid's trying to put the bullet in the gun I, I just love I love the movie but everyone's like oh, it's hokey the werewolf when the firework went in the werewolf's eye on the bridge it was so stupid and it looked like a bear meets a Bigfoot it didn't even look like a wolf I was like oh, that was 1985 yeah. uh, my other favorite werewolf movie would be the one with uh, Benicio Del Toro uh, with Anthony Hopkins from about a decade ago The Wolfman I like that film I, I, I love that film I thought it was great I thought uh, I first you know Benicio Del Toro as as you know the Wolfman. He's very, you know, he's very ethnic looking and stuff. You know, you can usually get like a white guy to play that. Especially, he didn't look like Anthony Hopkins' son. You know what I mean? Unless Anthony Hopkins, uh, you know, you know, uh, wife was uh, not. Uh, you know, again, again, he didn't look like he had English descent or anything like that. There's, but he said those two was a very ethnic looking actor, more of a Latin looking actor than anything well, he, else. He is Latin, and Anthony Hopkins right. is British. I mean, you know, right? But it, it just it was it just didn't look like father and son. They didn't play. I, I always thought they could probably get a, if they were going to, especially Anthony Hopkins played a major role in the film, it sort of looks a little bit more like him. I guess they can always make like Del Toro look like a mother because he was dark and skin, dark hair, dark eyes. And Hopkins is like this pale, pasty, gray haired or blonde when he was younger, man. Um, I just didn't think the, I didn't buy them as father and son. I didn't, I didn't buy it. But, um, both of them did a great job, and the wolf, the way he looked as the wolf was fantastic. The kill scenes were great in that movie, especially when he invaded the uh, gypsy camp and was going through uh, that, that camp just slicing people up. Because, uh, again, the werewolf, the old wolfman, Lon Chaney, used to have to jump on somebody and grab them and bite down on their shoulders. Um, this werewolf can just swat you with those 10-inch claws of his and just rip your face off that wasn't the old the old wolfman never clawed anybody he bit everybody if you remember the old werewolf yeah right? yeah you know he was yeah he, he was like a like um the michael j fox version <laughs> he was like the, teen yeah, wolf the, the, yeah, teen wolf was not a good way but i would say yeah uh top three uh american werewolf in london the wolfman of 2010 i guess it was and uh 1985 silver bullet i'm fond of the howling the first one that's great too. I, I hate to leave that out. Matter of fact, I'll substitute Silver Bull for the Howling. The uh, that scene where the where the girl's going through the files in the file cabinet, and then she sees the saliva or whatever it was drip on the thing, and it's coming from the wolf's mouth that's on top of the filing cabinet. Mm-hmm. And, and you remember, I mean, just my God, and that time where. Uh, 
the guy was transforming into the wolf. He was half wolf and he's talking and he's uh, turning into the wolf and he's talking to the person and he's like, dig, dig, dig this. And then he's like transferring out and it was just like, that was just so sick. It was like, he was so eerie as they, he was in half in transformation. You remember that scene where he's talking to the person as he's mm -hmm. turning into the werewolf and he's basically just telling this guy, I'm going to rip your face off. And he's like, transforming 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 and he's talking as a man then the, oh, the wolf thing's coming out that's fucking scary the howling is was a big hit by the way it was a big successful film yeah, it's but it, gets, it gets left out of conversation a lot of time and you know what i liked uh, maybe not most about it but that he built a pack yeah he yeah. did he built the pack yeah and i really like that um okay i have a, a, a couple more quick fires for you that I'm not sure they're going to be that quick, but sure. are certain old science fiction movies actually horror movies? And the two that come to mind are the original War of the Worlds and The Day the Earth Stood Still. No, I wouldn't call them a horror film. I thought you were going to mention the movie Them about the giant ants. I have I have them on my list, but I, I think that's definitely a horror movie. Okay, that's a horror movie like when you, because you were going to say two old movies about like Aliens, I, that's more sci-fi to me. I wouldn't call it horror. I call anything with aliens out of space, flying saucers. Even Alien, the first day? Alien's a horror movie just in space. It's, it is. I would call it more science fiction, though. I think it is a horror movie to a degree because of the blood and guts. But as far as what the creature was, I think it's more science fiction. It would have been something, obviously. What's scarier than, than you literally can't go anywhere? There's no escape. Uh, yeah, no, I get that. That's like, but then you'd have to say Predator was a horror movie, and I don't think it was. I think Predator was, uh, that's why they combined Predator versus Alien. And when I saw that, I'm like, that's science fiction. So I was like, is that in the horror section? And what they did with movies like Alien, Predator, uh, and movies like that was horror slash slash sci-fi. Uh, so they'll put it in the double category. Um, but I would always consider those movies, anything that had to do with space, Literally, an invasion, invasion of the body snatchers. I consider that a sci-fi. Even the one, again, you talk about 1979, um, 78, 79, that came out with Donald Sutherland. Uh, the Invasions of the Body Snatchers, which was the second interpretation. A later one with, I remember, uh, Billy Worth and a couple other uh, uh, actors, uh, more mid-level actors, came out in the 90s of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which was okay. But the 70s one with Sutherland was fantastic. Oh, yeah. And that would, I would consider that a sci-fi movie, too. The pods, uh, the way it came about. Just anything that had to do with the Earth and uh, the Earth and its atmosphere, to me, was always uh, sci-fi. You know, <laughs> I was always science fiction. Fair enough. All right. Would you say that Night of the Living Dead was the first horror movie with, uh, like, the indiscriminate killings? That was 68? It might have been earlier, but it was the, the George Romero one. Uh, yeah, because we were, you were born in 68 too, right? I was born in 68. Yeah. Um, the original Night of the Living Dead, hmm, killing indiscriminately. Probably in the 60s, I'd say, yeah, in the 70s, there's so many examples of, of uh, horror movies and monsters, or, you know, uh, a killer that was uh, more than just a creature. Uh, so, yeah, I'd probably say Night of the Living Dead. The first time I saw uh, zombies or a, a cluster of killers or, or uh, you know, um, people that, you know, it, it was a grouping of, uh, you know, it wasn't one person you had to be afraid of, it was many. So yeah, I would probably say that because even though the vampires, they would do the thing where the vampire bite you, come back, 
Um, you never seen so many. So yeah, the zombie thing would be like zombies are a grouping of killers. It's never one zombie. You ever notice that? Oh, it's never yeah. been a zombie movie about one zombie. Yeah, no, no. Zombies are definitely right. uh, always a contagion. All right, so the first slasher movie, would you call that Psycho or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? No, I wouldn't call, I would call the first slasher movie, in my opinion, Black Christmas, but this is not 1974. But you can go to Psycho to a degree as a slasher movie. You could say it was a slasher movie. I think it was more of a murder mystery thriller because the guy turns out he dressed up like his mom. But they would utilize that in later uh, slasher films, like in Prom Night, where uh, you would first thought the killer was a female. Uh, Terror Train. There were, there were movies where there were uh, gender uh, problems or the person was homosexual and was picked on as, and then got their revenge later on because of being bullied for being different when they were a kid. So there were those themes that played into a lot of those roles. That even Carrie, yeah. uh, the movie uh, Telekinesis, it was about where when I was a kid and about Carrie, I thought it was about she was a witch. I, you know, I didn't realize what it was telekinesis all along and nothing to do with the witchery was until the 80s. And I was old enough to understand that when I was a young kid, I'm like, oh, that movie about the witch, Carrie. And I think you might have thought that, too, when you first saw it. When you no, were I knew what it Carrie. was because of the X-Men cartoons, uh, comics. Oh, is that why? Okay. Yeah. But um, what were you saying about uh, – what well, lost my train of thought. What was the topic again? Oh, the first uh, slasher movie. And I oh, had uh, – Psycho to a degree, but I still think Black Christmas in 74, someone hiding in the house, someone who's killing an assortment. The psycho, Norman Bates was very calculated with the people he was killing. Uh, after he killed the woman in the shower, everyone he killed after that was calculated because they were trying to expose him, the cop, the other female, the other person he attacked in the house. It was people getting too close. I agree. Where an indiscriminate killer was Billy from... Uh, Black Christmas, who was determined to get as many of these girls and kill them as he could for no other reason than he just wanted to kill. So I think I don't. Norman Bates was calculated. Other slashes, Jason, Michael Myers, killed at random. Uh, that's what made them more dangerous. Calculated kill is someone who's basically planning. And that's the funny thing is that he was insane, Norman Bates, but he seemed to know what he was doing when he was going after certain people. He was functionally he was insane. Yeah, he was exactly. He was functionally insane. Uh, but yeah, you can, in fairness, you could say uh, that was a, a slasher movie. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not a slasher movie. Texas, uh, when it comes to movies about. Uh, like the cannibal family, it was a takeoff on a true story. It's basically that's a, I would say that's more of a serial killer movie, like amped up to, you know, turning it into a family thing and turning it into a monster movie. I would almost call Leatherface a monster in a way, the way the mask and his size and his hulking frame, you know, whatever he was, six five, three hundred pounds, big guy. That's like a, a with the mask on. He looks like a monster. It's almost like a man-made monster. And then the family. You know, like there's these uh, backwoods inbreds. Uh, I don't know if you call it a slasher. It's definitely a horror film, but I don't know if you call it a slasher film. And I don't think it was included in best slasher films of all time documentary that they did recently. I think they considered Leatherface more of a monster movie. Like, oh, wow. uh, just, a, well, just a horror movie. Well, I'll give that one to you, but they didn't ask me when they did that documentary. Um, uh, <laughs> all right. Did you ever watch Ganra, the, the, the fire turtle? <laughs> of course. I know all about Ganra. I mean, I've watched. I loved all those films. Rodan was my favorite when I was a kid. I got the Rodan figure, uh, which is basically a pterodactyl, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of. uh, yeah G- Gamera, you know, was, uh, you know, yeah, like a, a, 
a super enhanced dinosaur turtle. Um, I mean, they all would take offs on dinosaurs when you think about it. Who could I fly mean, through space and you know didn't need to didn't need to breathe, but breathe fire? <laughs> all sorts yeah. of things that totally made sense. Yeah, I mean, except for Mothra, I don't recall any giant moths uh, or butterflies in the prehistoric times. But Mothra would probably be the only one that was basically made up by, I guess, uh, the culture or whatever. Uh, who would ever even think of that, right? Of, uh, what the hell can a butterfly do? But um, no, I mean there was there was one there was uh, I, I don't, he was called like Anglia something, but there really is an Angliosaurus, and it was just a big Angliosaurus. Oh, I know. I mean, even when you think about it, the the Loch Ness monster is supposed to be a plesiosaur, basically a breathing underwater dinosaur that looks like a brontosaurus. So I mean, it's all taken from you know, it's it's all kind of offshoots of things that actually did exist. Uh, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, millions of years ago. Um, well, Godzilla was the first environmental activist movie. Yeah, from right the nuclear testing, and and uh, again, uh, a lot of people like kind of. Don't really, uh, you know, I guess if you're really, really into it, you know everything about what you watch. But the casual viewer, you will remind, you know, well, Godzilla plays into the whole nuclear thing, you know, before mm -hmm. it's time. And people be like, oh, I thought it was just a dinosaur that was on, you know, was, uh, you know, uh, fell into the earth and was, on." you know, people don't get that much involved in it. Like I said, when you're really into something, like people who are really into comic books, really into Star Trek, they dissect every episode, dissect everything that's said and done, why people are wearing a patch on their shirt. Uh, and, and as wrestling fans, as you know, Jeff, we do the same thing with, with, with wrestling. We all, we analyze it to even angles and why did they did this and how the Road Warriors first look when they came out. No, they didn't wear this. They wore the denim. And I remember that. And people are like, they wore denim? I don't remember that. Because you're such a fan. You remember all every little thing about it. You didn't just watch it. You were into it. So the Godzilla thing, again, to the you asked the casual person. And how, how was Godzilla? Uh, how did Godzilla come to be? I was a dinosaur that got left behind from the back in the old ages, right? And then it just got a, it was trapped in the earth or something like that. But they don't even go. Oh, oh it had to do with nuclear. Uh, it had to do with nukes. I'm like, yeah, that total had to do with nuclear. Well, listen, I will give almost anybody a pass about professional wrestling because it is really, you know, down there on the list of things. But for Godzilla, I mean, all you had to listen to was was Blue Oyster Cult. They told us. History shows again and again how nature points out the folly of man. Come on, it was right there in the song. All right. That's true. <laughs> so, all right. Now, this is a choice between two, and you can add your own after you choose between these two. But what is your nostalgic favorite bad monster movie between the two that you definitely saw a thousand times because we're the same age and we watch the same channels wor channel 9 channel 11 the channel 5 saturday movies so was it battle of the gargantuans or gargoyles uh i love both gargoyles was great i know my brother brought it up on uh break the apocalypse i think halloween edition it wasn't even a subject. I think he just went off like kind of on a, a tangent about it that it was such an underappreciated movie. Love Gargoyles. I, I love Gargoyles too, and that was um, what was the name of that uh, Bernie? I can't remember his name, but he was in Revenge of the Nerds. He played the African American guy who ran the uh, Black Charter that was protecting the nerds. Remember mm -hmm. that? Yep. Uh, you know, and, uh, and the he, star he looked the, like uh, Discount Brian Keith. Yes, and he. Uh, he uh, Gargoyles is, is uh, very hard to find. I think you can maybe find it on YouTube, but it's a very good, very good film. 
Uh, War of the the Gargantua is probably one of my favorites. I remember being, again, a little kid, seeing that movie, seven, eight years old, scared when I saw that one of the Gargantua was actually eight people. That scared me. Because I never saw Godzilla eat anybody. I never saw King Kong eat anybody. I never saw uh, more Rodan and Mothra. Again, they would, you know, uh, knock the house down. Uh, You know, people would die in in the catastrophic conditions that were there with the trains being overturned. You assumed those people were dying. But to see the gargoyle actually pick up a person and bite them their head off and then, and then chew on them, that freaked me out. Do you remember that scene? Of course I do. Yeah, I mean, just uh, that that bothered me as a kid. I'm like, ah, like, you know. And then I'm thinking about it. I never saw Godzilla eat a person. Like, that's so it's right there, I wanted that monster, Green Gargantua, I wanted him dead. So, although brown, yeah, Green Gargantua, Brown Gargantua was the good guy. So um, that freaked me out about that movie. And now I watched it not that long ago. And of course, it doesn't bother me as an adult as it did when I was a kid. Again, it looked like a plastic what? doll figure. By You've the seen way. worse since. I've seen worse since, but uh, I remember when the Brown Gargantua with the stuff, the tree in his brother's mouth, and just like, yeah, you want to eat something, eat this, and then like hit him with the tree in the side of the mouth and try to stick him in the, uh, shove it down his throat because he was so horrified that his brother ate a person. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the, and then I was rooting for the Brown. I mean, it was a real hokey It's funny. I, I call him Orange Gargantua, and that's funny you call him Brown uh, Gargantua. Yeah, 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 brown and green. <laughs> But uh, did you see who the guy was in that film that always sticks out to me is he was the guy from West Side Story. The uh, guy, Tony, uh, was one of the uh, Jets. Oh, really? Got stabbed in one of the scenes. Yeah, Tony from, uh, and he was, and he wasn't Tony in West Side Story. There was a character named Tony, but he was one of the, uh, the, the uh, lead gang members of the Jets. And every time I'd see him, I'm like, well, I know this guy from West Side Story, and, and, and I would see the comments in, in the Gargantua thing on YouTube clips, and they're like, hey, the guy from West Side Story. I'm like, yeah, that is the guy from West Side Story. Other people <laughs> noticed it, too. That's so, funny. yeah, it's, uh, I can't remember his name, but he was one of the main guys. He was the first guy stabbed, uh, which prompted the guy Tony to stab Maria's brother. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I can't remember, But he was the guy who played the white guy in the uh, War of the Gargantuas. Okay. Do you have another uh, Class B monster movie that's sort of one of your sentimental favorites that I didn't list already? Uh, a B horror movie that I, I like to watch? B, C, D, you know. Uh, some, something with like Doug McClure or Christopher George or one of the – John Saxon. Oh, one well, the, the, the <laughs> Devil Dog, The Hound of Hell. Remember that one? Sure, I remember Kim, that one. Kim Richards, the, the, the satanic Doberman picture. Sure. Oh, no, uh, the, uh, actually it was a German Shepherd. Uh, the Devil Dog. That was a '70s one. Uh, what was that movie with Karen Black in the '70s? My God, Trilogy of Terror. Trilogy. Of remember, Terror. Tril- remember Trilogy of Terror? I don't, but I remember uh, Cat People. But that was Nastasha Kinski. Uh, that was Nastasha Kinski. Uh, Grizzly uh, would be a horror movie that I always go back to about the the killer I, grizzly bear. That, uh, I remember Grizzly. Basically, Jaws of the Wilderness. Remember Grizzly? Knocked the kid's head off. Right, killed, chil- ch- killed children in that movie. Openly killed children. Right, well, kid- well go Dan Haggerty and... head came flying off. Oh, my God. Well, Grizzly Adams was the big show, so you had to have the, the counter Grizzly Adams. Oh, the, 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 um, oh, another one, Snow Beast. Remember Snow Beast? I do remember Snow Beast. It was like a abominable snowman kind Bob, of. Like a Bigfoot, and they killed the ski lodge, and the guy killed it with the ski uh, uh-huh. uh, poker at the end. Um, they very rarely showed it. It's what you didn't see back then. 
because I, I know I would talk to my brother Mike, and my brother Mike complained, nah, one thing I don't like about the movie, they don't show the Bigfoot enough. They don't show the creature. They show his face when he's running at the skier, but then they don't show the whole body. I'm like, but that's what you don't see. That's what I loved about that film. I thought it was brilliant. And to this day, it's it's a real, it's a, it's a classic. Um, but yeah, so the 70s produced a lot of that stuff. The original Piranha, if you remember that. Yes, I do. Uh, Piranha from the seventies was really good. That was Roger Corman, I think. Um, there's so one. Yeah. There's one I'm waiting to see if you pick up that you mentioned because I'm not sure it counts as a horror movie or not. But um, what do you think about the White Buffalo? I like that film with Ch- Charles Bronson. Mm-hmm. Uh, that scene where the buffalo is running a rampage, going down the line and and knocking every going. Everyone's trying to get out of the way of this fucking thing, right? Remember mm-hmm. that scene? Of course. Holy shit! I mean, that what a what a scene that was. Like just the the, the rampage. I always call it like the rampage scene, like where he's just going through the camp or going down the the line. Everyone's like get you know getting out of the way. He, he, He's, uh, you know, just fucking rampaging through the, whatever, I guess that was a campsite. Uh, and Charles Bronson, I think, stabs him. Yeah, uh, he was trying. He was like Ahab. It was sort of like yeah, Moby he, Dick on, uh, it, you know, on the frontier. it was kind of like a Moby Dick kind of thing. Yeah, White Buffalo, like you hear it and you're like, oh, it's like a movie about the Native Americans or something. It's, it's, it's obviously much more than that. But that was, that's a good example of a film. Uh, people should check out probably a, a hidden gem. I don't think a lot, a lot of people probably be like White Buffalo. It's I mean it sounds familiar, but Charles Bronson, like yeah, Charles Bronson is in the White Buffalo. He was in a lot of movies. People yeah. don't people don't realize that it's like now you can be a big star and be in like one movie in three years. These guys were doing five six movies a year. He was in a good slasher movie called Ten to Midnight, which was a great movie. Oh yeah, I remember um, Ten to Midnight. Ten to Midnight, what a fucking film that was! The, the the killer was always naked. It was awkward seeing a naked man throughout that whole movie. I mean, they didn't show frontal, but it was always like these back shots of this nude man because he would murder with no clothes on, so he didn't leave any evidence. Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you remember Nighthawks? Nighthawks, I remember, but I just thought the concept. By the way, why no one has redone 10 to midnight because think of the concept of that in the 70s he knew socks shoes handprint he was nude he had no clothes on and he murdered people as a naked guy so it's just like i never even heard of that before and i thought that was almost like wow even back then you know there was no dna as you know i mean the technology i mean let's be honest in the 70s you can literally no pun intended get away with murder uh, that's why a lot of mafia guys only got caught because they got ratted on. But if they didn't drop dimes, we, you know, talk about earlier the mafia off the show, we, th- no one would have gotten caught if it wasn't for people testifying that these people were killed by these people and they found them because they would have just been gone. Now, would they have been unearthed or skull and bones and DNA? Yeah, down the Lord and maybe not in their lifetime. They still would have got away with murder. But in the 70s, uh, crime... A criminal, it, it, I don't know if it paid to be a criminal from a moral stance, but there were no cameras anywhere. You remember, Jeff, there were no cameras anywhere. You, they, you, I mean, detectives had their work cut out for them back then. They sure you did. Know, to solve a crime. Like, son of Sam, look how long he got away with that for. Today, David Berkowitz would have been caught in two days. Yeah, probably so. Seriously. Going back to something you said earlier, that anything from space uh, doesn't count as a, as a horror movie. What is your take on Brightburn? Oh, that's a good film. I would say that's a horror film, too. Uh, that's a horror film to a degree, I think. Um, more because I think... Uh, well, it basically what I saw that as the evil Superman, so I would say mm-hmm. that was like a, a, a superhero gone wrong film. 
Um, I would say it's sci-fi, horror, slash horror, but I'll put sci-fi first before horror, horror second, because um, of the horrific things that he did and stuff. I mean, it was kind of a brutal, especially what he did to his uh, aunt and uncle, uh, which was a pretty brutal scene uh, with him. You know, no, hopefully people saw it by now. Pretend you're not hearing this. I won't tell you. The, well, I won't say the end of it. But when he dropped his uncle with the car and, the, and his jaw broke off, basically, oh my god, that was great. That was a pretty brutal scene. Um, you know, I even thought like, oh god. You know, like, you know, boy, this kid, I, I hate this kid. I mean, after that, I really hated the kid, and I wanted him dead. Uh, like, that that was pretty much what did it for me when he killed his aunt and uncle. Uh, I wanted him dead. I, they, you know, it's funny. I was more offended by the, the kills of those two people than I was when he killed his father in the woods. Um, I was more pissed off about him killing other people. Well, his father sort of sucked. Um, but- his father, like, boy, what a bad, I mean, that was the shot he took when he had his opportunity. It was like, as soon as you saw that bullet thing and the whole, you know, missed, and you're like, he's dead. He, he, that wasn't even a good try. He, he was Pam's yeah. original fiance in The Office. The oh, actor. was he? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I'm not a big, um, I'm not a big, uh, Liz- uh, what's her name, Elizabeth? Uh, Banks. Banks fan. I'm not a big fan of hers. Uh, even going back to the 40-year-old virgin, I'm just not a fan of hers. Gotcha. Um, and so I wasn't that sympathetic to her heroin and I was sympathetic to the two police officers who got it when they were trying to help her. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, they were just doing doing their job. Yeah, the casting of her was strange because I think of I do like her. I like her as a comedic actress, and this was right. a different sort of role. Um, I definitely considered this to be a horror movie. I don't think it was a great movie, but there's a great movie in there. Um, but I got a very omen feel to it. And it was it was like yeah. instead of you know instead of like you know Satan, you had you know Krypton. You know, Krypton. Omen, uh, omen, uh, Superman, evil. Like I mean, it was the basically the evil you know Superman. That's really what it was. And but he's not even Superman. Would, he's he's Superboy. Like he's just going through puberty. Oh, he's just oh, getting yeah, his powers. No, I get that. I, I was hoping they make a Brightburn two if it warrants it. I mean, I it made some money at the box office. It doesn't look like it warrants a part two from a. Fi- Fiscal success of the movie, it needs but perhaps, it. but but they could. I think they need to do a part two. Maybe that'll be. I I, I saw that movie as like the movie Kick Ass when I saw Kick Ass, and I don't know if it was a big hit or whatever. But they ended up doing a part two of it. Uh, obviously, the girl Chloe Moritz who came out of it became a big star. Um, but uh, I saw that as like, wow, this movie wasn't that big a deal, and they made a part two. Maybe Brightburn made moderate money; it didn't lose money at the box office. Maybe someone will say, "We got to continue this boy's story as growing up and his evil ways continued, and he it, it needs terrorizes to be continued. town." Yeah, it, it needs. It, yeah, I didn't votes. like the way it left off. You can't leave off like that. They got to do something with this. The only problem is, is I have no idea how you kill him unless there's enough of that ship that's still preserved to cut him up, but. Um, you know, I don't want there to be like a superhero. You know, it doesn't need to be like the opposite of Unbreakable. He, he one thing I'll say about that character: there's no nothing good about the. Like to me, you know, the hero. You know, people just to be anti-hero, they'll cheer the bad guy, whatever. There was nothing nothing redeeming about that kid in my opinion just like Damien uh, Damien has even got older in the part 2 and 3 of The Omen there was nothing redeeming or likable about him we talked about Frank Langella being charming and likable in Dracula there was nothing likable about this kid this kid was far from 
McCauley, he was he didn't even have a bit of even when the mother's like, "Oh, you're good." I'm like, "He's really not good. He hasn't been good since day one." I didn't like him when he was three years old in this film. <laughs> you know, I didn't like him seriously. I I hated the kid from the get go, and I thought it was funny that that was the mother's like, "You're good. I know you're good." I'm like, "But he he's not good. He's not well, good." Every mom thinks their son is good, but I I. I very much liked it at the end where he's, you know, with the paramedics and he's got the blanket over him and he's acting very much the victim child. No one's suspecting him whatsoever. And it was very similar to the end of The Omen where Damon and Damien as like a three or four year old. Right. He looks in the camera. Yeah. Yeah. That that was eerie. And they must do they they must do more. I don't care for their movies or it's like a Netflix series or something like that. But it, it it needs to be explored as he gets older. And I don't know. So, two votes from Garden of Doom for Brightburn being continued. Yes. Uh, even remade, because again, it wasn't a great movie, but there's a great movie in there. Um, okay, we're going to get frivolous, and then we're going to probably wrap it up. Okay. Um, as a kid, which did you like better, Monsters or Adam's Family? Uh, the Monsters. I was more of a Monsters guy, I think, because of... Uh Fred Gwynn, I mean, he looked just like Frankenstein. He played Frankenstein so great. He looked just like him and such a towering, hulking man. And I liked um, the kid, the, the werewolf kid, and just the whole concept of the the, the niece being, you know, who was a gorgeous girl, was the ugly uh, niece, and yep. the way they treated her. I just loved the dynamic of the family. And Grandpa Al was very funny. Al Lewis was very funny. Uh, Al Lewis reminded me a lot of Seinfeld's father, uh, Jerry Stiller. <laughs> yep. on, uh, but he didn't yell and scream, but he was just, his quips and stuff, I just thought the dynamic of them was, was fantastic. And I thought it was funny. The Addams Family, I understand, to most lives, is probably a cooler show, a more sleek show. And obviously, uh, Carolyn Jones is very sexy. Lily Munster wasn't sexy, but uh, Carolyn Jones was really like a, a sexy uh, bombshell type. Uh, Gomez was, uh, again, the charming, suave guy. But the kids, to me, were unlikable. Wednesday and, and uh, what were the other pugs? I, they were unlikable. I didn't like them as kids. I liked uh, Eddie Munster. I liked him. I rooted for him. So, uh, again, I liked, I liked that I liked the cast more of the Adams family where Lily Munster and you Herman, you liked them. Like you didn't want to see anything bad happen to them. That's not want to see anything bad happen to the Adams family. Uh, but the Adams family, I think was more, um, again, uh, when I think of, uh, I, I, I just think that their goal was to, uh, make, a. Carolyn Jones again. Carolyn Jones had been a star. I think there was there was like a launching pad for some of the people from some of these shows. But really, they were actors who were on their way down, which sounds weird to say in the '60s, uh, because uh, Yvonne DiCarlo had been very successful in the, in the 1950s, and she was on her way down as an actress. Carolyn Jones too. You know what's funny, Jeff, about the two of them, Carolyn Jones and again, we talk about me and you being 52. They were in their mid 30s when they took those roles, and they were considered washed up in Hollywood. Carolyn Jones and Yvonne DiCarlo. Wow. They were considered like on their way out and they were like 37, 38 years old. Isn't that amazing? Do you still, yes, it is. Um, do you, have you changed your opinion on those shows as an adult? Which one do you like more as an adult? No, I mean, even the Adam Family movies, I, I never really got into them. I mean, I was always hoping they'd made a monster movie the way they made the Adam Family movie with Raul Julia and stuff. Uh, they never made a monsters movie. Maybe it'll, it's coming. One day it'll, it'll come. But uh, even Adam's family uh, values on the other day, I had turned it 
off. I, I couldn't get into. I just wasn't an Adams Family guy. I just didn't. Again, the monsters to me was fu- was actually funny. I mean, if you have your the dynamic and you really think about it between Herman and Grandpa's father-in-law, it was very funny. No, the monsters was funny, and uh, I'm, yeah. as a kid, I definitely liked the monsters more. But as an adult, I think I like the Adams Family more. Yeah, again, I can see the appeal of the Adams Family. I think it's more of a, a kind of a sleeker type of show. It's it's more. Uh, I think it's a more sophisticated show than the Monsters. Monsters a little more low rent, I think. They they hid the edginess behind it being like a a kiddie monster show, sort of sort of the way like South Park and and the Simpsons hides the edginess by being a cartoon. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally, I totally agree with you. But both great shows. But again, monsters, and I hope one day that Wallops the Godzi is watching a couple of months green light for a monsters uh, brand new film based on the monsters TV show because they never did it yet. So that and you know they gotta eventually rape and pillage the whole landscape of classic television to make a film. So of that, course, that's coming. Yeah. All the all the good ideas are taken. So they say. All right. Yeah, except the, except the monsters. Yeah. My last question: Did you ever go to a movie that you were told was a horror movie, and then when you saw it, you were really disappointed because it totally wasn't a horror movie? Yeah, I have, but I'm trying to think of any specific examples. Maybe even if you have an example or two, maybe it's my the same memories. Since again, we are the same age and have a similar taste in a lot of things. Do you have any that come to mind? Because maybe it would jog my memory a little bit. I'm sure I did, but I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Oh, okay, I can go back to again. Here we go again. 1979, 1980. Nightwing. Remember that movie? No. Nightwing about the bats in uh, New Mexico. Sounds a little bit familiar. Was were they making? Did they always do folk like close-ups on their faces when they were doing radar? And it played into an Indian reservation, and it was. We thought it was this horror film, Nightwing. Yes, yes, yes. Trailer, and it was basically G-rated. It was PG, but it was G-rated, and these things only come out at night. And you hear the eerie voice of the late seventies trailer guy. And we probably were at the Shaggy DA or something while we were watching it or a Disney film when we saw the trailer for Nightwing come on we're 9, 10 or 11 like in that grade school era like you know 5th, 6th grade and we're like oh we gotta see Nightwing oh it's PG and we went to see it and we're like it wasn't so bad it was about bats and just bat infestation over New Mexico and that there was some frequency that was making more bats come out through Arizona and just it was uh, it was uh, almost a geogra- it was almost like a uh What's the word? Um, Documentary. um, Nature, more than it was about horror. They weren't indiscriminately killing people, vampire bats, there's a virus. It was about nature and about man, again, trouncing on caves. They were blowing up caves, basically, and the bats had nowhere to go. It's one of those stories, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, uh, what they do, environmental, Jeff, that's the word I was looking for, an environmental film. Nightwing, and it wasn't a horror movie with Nightwing at all. Mine are much more recent. Um, but The Shape of Water, which I was hoping was going to be more updated creature of the Black Lagoon. And yeah, that's it was, what I thought. I never saw it. How was it? I never saw it. It's okay. It's 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 interesting. I mean, it, like it's a Guillermo del Toro film. So like Pan's Labyrinth, it, it, it has elements of a lot of different things. But Pan's Labyrinth was another one I thought was going to be a horror movie, and it completely wasn't. Um, but The Shape of Water 
was sort of like the creature of the Black Lagoon if they caught the creature really early on, but but the woman wasn't just nice to the creature, actually fell in love with the creature and ran away with the creature. So it was, I mean, so it was an interesting movie, but it definitely was not a horror movie. And then there's two others, and I, I normally hope that your brothers listen to show my shows, especially the shows that you're on, but, um, but they're going to be mad at me right now, I think. Why's that? Well, because they both love movies by, I think it's the same guy. His last name's Eggers and the Studio A24. I saw a, a movie called Midsommar probably about three or four years ago, and then a movie called The Witch. More recently, they're both by the same studio, and like they're both sort of psychological thrillers, and they're both actually sort of similar in the ending. Um, but... I thought Midsummer was hysterical. I mean, I, I I'm the only person in the theater that thought that, so I'm sure there's, I'm sure it's me, not them. But I thought Midsummer. it was a comedy. Yeah, Midsummer, but it's Midsommar because it's it's Scandinavian. It was like Norway or something. Um, okay. And Midsummer. yeah, basically like like when someone you know revealed or turned evil, like I was like yes, and I think you were supposed to think no. Um, and the same thing sort of happened with me with The Witch. I mean, The Witch was closer to horror, but I don't know. They were more like psychological thriller uh, it, kind of thing. It was. I didn't see The Witch. I saw the trailer. I didn't want to see it because it just looks so dark and depressing to me. And I don't, uh, I, I can't watch, you know, everyone's like, Kev, The Witch, The Witch. I'm like, you know, you're a big horror. I'm like, I don't want to see the wives. I'm like, because I don't, that those olden times, the, like the movie Ravenous and some other things, I don't, I, those olden times, those almost like uh, pilgrimish type of looking, I don't like the time period of those movies. Uh, I just, I'm just not, there's a movie called Deadly Blessing that had to do back in the early 80s, Ernest Borgnine, had to do with uh, the Amish and a horror thing. And I just, the whole setting of it was just like, ugh. I just, I just don't like those colonial time pictures with witches and burning people at the stake and, and the, the backwards believing. I don't like those period pieces. I just, I'm not big on it at all. It's like, I just, it's like watching Civil War horror. You know what I'm yeah, saying? I know what you're I, saying. I, I, yeah, I, that's the best way I could describe it. It's like, uh, you know, um, the, the just uh, again, um, the witch to me was just disturbing. And then when I saw the goat and all the animal play into it, I'm like, eh, I don't want to watch this. I just, I, I know it was shitty times back then. I just, I, I'm not a big, I, I much, I, I don't mind biblical times. I can watch biblical films, but for some reason, the colonial type of shit like that and the settings like that. Um, Let's put it this way, Jeff. Uh, I prefer uh, if the bathroom is not in the house, I don't want to watch it. Gotcha. Well, it, <laughs> you were correct. It, it was very bleak. It was very depressing. Depressing, yeah. I don't want to – because people would say, oh, what, what, what was great – what was not depressing about uh, Black Christmas? I'm like, because it had some color to it and there were uh, characters and lively. It was the 70s. It was people were, you know, you, you had sympathetic characters. You had annoying characters. You had the cool girl, the hot girl, the pain in the ass, the nerd. The, the, I, and, and back in these times, everybody was the same in my opinion. You know, it was everybody was the same. There wasn't, no one was charismatic in any of those films, you know. It was kind of bleak and boring and very vanilla, you know, to me. Um, again, the, those kind of times, again, you know, a hero emerges sometimes, but I, I don't know what it is. I can't connect to any of those kind of films. No hero emerged. No interest to in me. No yeah. hero emerged in this movie. There, there were two characters that were 
sort of likable, and I don't want to spoil anything because it's a relatively new movie, and right. people might, you know, I, I don't care if we spoil something from 1985. <laughs> that's 35 years ago. Um, but um, anyway, I, th- I think it would have been better if it was like an hour-long show instead of an hour-and-a-half-long movie. Um, but yeah, the, 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 those are ones. So are there any... Uh, in 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 the Castle Chronicles, um, uh, to, to to steal the name of one of your other ventures, um, do you have three recommendations and three definitely don't see in the horror genre? And you know any any time period doesn't matter if they're from the 1930s or if they're from last week. I would say definitely Abbott and Costello. Me Frankenstein might as well throw that in there first and foremost. Yes. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Horror fan or comedy fan, if you're both, it's a Paradise. If you're a combination of a comedy horror fan, because uh, you get to see all the monsters, and you get to see good fight scenes with the monsters, right? Mm-hmm. There's some good fight scenes there, especially between Frankenstein and Wolfman. Not spoiling anything, uh, uh, and, and it some. It's a little thrilling. It's got some compelling stuff, you know. And my, your monsters are giving chase to the to the to the people in the film. It was, I liked it. Uh, I would say another uh, uh, horror movie probably people should go see. Or, or go see, watch on stream, or go go see like they're gonna go to the theaters, even if there was no COVID, you know, um, that they can check out. We'll say, uh, I would probably say, um, I'm trying to think of some monster movies instead of slasher because we did slashes to death. Um, but I would say a good monster movie would be. Uh, I'm trying to think what else would be something I can recommend. I'm trying to think of of the '70s uh, that would. Probably, let me see. I would say, again, uh, it depends. And it, by the way, no harm comes to any of these animals or anything in the film. Because uh, sometimes people think of 70s and, and a horror film with animals. They might be hurting the animals or they didn't have the restrictions back then or it's abusive to the animals. It was all dummy animals, you could tell. Uh, devil dog, hound of hell. You don't have to feel bad that they don't hurt the dog or anything. Uh, if anything, you know, the dog is... Uh, casting spells on them from like his eye. It's a little hokey with the eyes and everything, but a little young Kim Richards who'd go on to be in the movie Tough Turf and one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills fame that she has today with her sister Kyle. Uh, Kim Richards was in it and she was a, a star when she was a young kid. She co-stars in it with Richard Crenna. Escape was, from uh, Witch Mountain. Witch Mountain and Richard Crenna who would go on to be Rambo's boss. Everybody remembers uh, the Colonel. Right, Colonel. Uh, Colonel. Richard Crenna. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Richard, uh, young, uh, handsome, Richard, in his prime in the 70s, was in Devil Dog Handel, and a very young, cute Kim Richards when she was young girls in that movie. Um, so I would see Devil Dog Hound to Hell, which is, is very rare. Uh, I bought the DVD. I bought it. Uh, I would also say, um, oh, honestly, I, I would... Um, I'll probably say, uh, you know, if you want to put throw goggles in there too, maybe give a shout out to that. A lot of seventies, kind of these kitschy seventies movies, but gargoyles would be a good one too if you could find it. And uh, again, it's a whole crew of gargoyles. They live in this the mountainside, and it's a whole family. It's not one gargoyle; it's a bunch of them, and it takes place because one of the gargoyles, one of the storylines in the early in the film, is hit by a car. If you remember the story, Jeff, right? Yeah. Is uh, injured by uh, an automobile runs out, and then the gargoyles come to retrieve their kid, and then kidnap one of the people, and then the cha- the the thing is on to find them and find their lair and get their. To get this person back, almost like the Hills Have Eyes version of gargoyles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gargoyle. It's, instead of uh, backwards cannibal people, it's gargoyles. Um, 
Uh, I would say another film that was good uh, was The Devil's Reign. Did you ever see that? It sounds familiar. I don't know. But, uh, but, but, Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk, William Shatner. Oh, definitely. definitely it. It. Uh, it's about uh, when Rosemary's Baby came out in the early, uh, late 60s. The early 70s and mid-70s spawned a lot of uh, devil pictures or evil pictures. The Exorcist, of course, and The Omen were the big hits. But there were movies like The Devil's Reign um, that, were, that came out... Um, didn't do the box office that it did. It did more on TV. Like it became a cult classic, and it's about the cultism and stuff like that. And William Shatner is the star of it. This is Star Trek is already well done. Shatner, I guess, this is in between Star Trek and T.J. Hooker, and he's in this movie in the mid '70s called The Devil's Reign. Had some scary moments in it. Ernest Borgnine is also in that film too. Um, I'm trying to think uh, what else. There was another movie, Race with the Devil. You ever see that? I don't With think Peter so. F- Peter Fonda and Loretta Swit, who played uh, uh, Houlihan on uh, Mash, the female Loretta Swit. Yeah, Hot, Hot Lips Houlihan. Hot Lips Houlihan. This is before, uh, right around when Mash was first coming on the air in the seventies, and Peter Fonda, Bridget Fonda's dad, who died not too long ago, about a year or two ago, he died. Uh, Peter Fonda, of course, Easy yeah, it was Rider. Was in uh, Bloodline or? Yeah, uh, it's called Race with the Devil. An uh, Easy Rider. Uh, uh, Race of the Devil is a great film, and it's about occultism too. A two couples are going driving to California, going through you know the neighboring states, uh, Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, on the way to California, and they pull off to a rest stop area, and it's at night, and they decide to park there. It's the beginning of the film, not ruining anything for anybody. It's the plot of the film, uh, and uh, one of them goes looking around the town or whatever and walks in this wooded area and finds this cult doing a sacrifice, a human sacrifice. And he witnesses it, they see him, he runs back to the the thing, and it's the same old story, the town is in on it, and the police, everyone is making like, you know, what are you talking about, occultism in here, and this is a good town, these are Christian people, and the whole thing, and everyone's trying to buy this guy's story, and his friends, uh, you know, and the whole race with the devil is, uh, they decide that they can't let them live, these people they know too much, so they chase them from into neighboring states, and they have connections of occultism in all the neighboring states, there is a group like that all across the, the West, you know what I'm saying, Jeff, so yep. everywhere they go, they're being pursued by people part of this clan. And it's a great film. And it's called Race with the Devil. You should check it out if you never saw it, Jeff. I'm surprised you didn't. But it's a really, uh, talk about it, it's a thrill ride. I mean, it's a real thrill. It's like, my God, they everywhere, they, these, they got connections all over the place. There's devil worshippers all over the West. Uh-oh. So uh, everywhere they went, there was, uh, just when you thought that they were safe, again, that's Race with the Devil. It's them racing through the states trying to get away from these occultism people. I wish I could tell you there was a happy ending, and I'll just leave it at that, but there wasn't a happy ending. <laughs> so we don't need a happy ending because we're about horror. All right, well, I'm going to give um, – I would tell everyone to check out the Netflix uh, updated Dracula, definitely the White Buffalo. I co-sign on uh, Gargoyles for sure. If you can get past the, the, the bad special effects and not great acting and just try to pay attention to the story, it's actually a really more sophisticated story than than, oh, yeah. than, than we might have given it credit for. but. Kevin just mentioned Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby is one of the great horror movies there, and from there it takes you to so many other things. Anyway, thank you for this, Kevin. Where can people find you? Uh, they can f- 
find me uh, usually wandering the streets of Queens at about 2 a.m. No, I'm okay. Uh, they can find me on social media at uh, Kev, K-E-V-Z, as in Zorro, Castle, C-A-S-T-L-E. Kev Z Castle, Y the Z, to make it different from the other hundreds of Kevin Castles on there, because it's real people's names around the country. Uh, so Kev Z Castle on Twitter, and my real name, Kevin Scandato. If you know John Draper and his real last name identity, I have the same name as him, last name, so you can find me on there or a correlation with him. You find Draper, you find me. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm not, I have an Instagram account. I don't very rarely use it, but when I go back into the mainstream of podcasting, I will have a updated new and, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, something uh, colorful up there for a new uh, Instagram account for new shows I'm going to be part of. Uh, and speaking of that, uh, new show should launch within the next month or two. I'd say by March for sure uh, for the pop culture one. The other wrestling ones, I'm still contemplating what I'm going to do next, who I'm going to team up with, where I'm going to do it, who's going to run it. There's uh, some things to work out with that because the next wrestling thing I want to do, I want to, I want it to be something uh, that I'm going to be in it, you know, all the way, you know, not jumping around from show to show. That's why I'm just right now doing guest appearance stuff. But the next, uh, like, tangible weekly podcast I do, I want to solidify with the right people uh, next to me and behind the scenes. And I'm working on getting that. It'll be all new people, too. Uh, but the Pop Culture Podcast, which will be Castle and Chickie's Pop Culture Adventure, which is the working oh, title, which I kind of wow. like. It's kind of a takeoff on Pee Wee's Big wait, Adventure, wait. Bill and Ted. Drew, is- Drew Yari, did you hear that? He, say, he said the wrestling thing's with all new people. You're an old person. Yeah, Drew Yari would be the. I'm a professional guest on Drew Yari's show. Shout out to Drew. Um, yeah, shout out to actually, Drew. Actually, but you yeah, yes, your yesterday's news, Drew. Your yesterday's news. You heard it here it's, first. Uh, <laughs> Drew's not as cute as Chicky is, but uh, you know he's, he's a handsome man. Drew's not as really cute know. as I am. That's probably true, Jeff. You might be cuter than uh, Drew. I'll give you that, Drew. I, I'll give you that, Jeff. You got that. I'll give you that. And I'm a lot Drew's older. She's gonna, gonna be like, "Fuck these guys." <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna be like, "Fuck these guys." Well, guess what? We're too cute for him, Drew. We're out exactly. of your league. You can't fuck hey, us. Well, Drew's also in his thirties. He can he can cute it up by the time he's fifty. You maybe can maybe get more cute. I got there better looking when I got older. It's true. There you go. But uh, yeah, the the pop culture thing should launch by March. Anything wrestling. Let's put it this way. I'll be back on the air uh, on a mainstream before WrestleMania. That's for sure. That I can promise. Uh, WrestleMania is, I believe, the the 11th and 12th now, Jeff, or 10th and 11th, I think. They keep talking about the date, but yeah, it's either going to be a second or third week. Oh, I think they did formally announce it. It's a two-night thing. So I think, yeah, the 11th and 12th. Second week of April, I'll be back on the air by then uh, in a new project but the thing with the pop culture thing should be march wrestling should be april but yeah spring springtime you'll be seeing me back in action in the meantime i'll continue doing my guest spots on uh, whether it's drew yari or uh, jimmy with the rage network or even with you guys with uh, headlocks and well hung guys uh, that's, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I was laughing the other day when you wrote to me that thing i was actually you you actually made me laugh in a very stressful day i was having that day Good. and when you when you wrote that we we settled upon well Hung guy, I started laughing hysterical. So that was, I should thank you for that lighthearted moment in my rough day that day. You are uh, that, that actually cracked me up. I was, and I'm glad you guys heard that because obviously we were joking around. So I'm sure you and Steve could have appreciated that. I, we definitely, I do. Cool. Uh, all right, man. Well, thanks again. And we're going to follow you in your ventures. And I'm sure we're going to have you on again and uh, yeah. talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Be good, Jeff. Thank you. You Peace. too.
All right, everyone, that is going to be our show for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week, hopefully with some more fun but light and interesting fare. We always welcome your feedback. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Garden of Doom. I want to do some shout-outs and plugs for friends of the show. Firstly, thank you to Shaheen. Check out his stuff. He's on the Breaking the Apocalypse podcast with our good friends John Draper and B-Show Brian, so check them out. And, and if you can, support them on Patreon. Also, check out my other podcast with Big Daddy Cool, Stephen Pena, called Hammerlock Hangover. It's about wrestling, so if you like wrestling, it'll change your life. If you don't like wrestling, probably not for you. Um, also, wrestling-related, Unpopular Review, that's a YouTube show and Facebook Live live podcast with uh, several shows. I'm on at least one a week. Um, and Suplexity Chaps, Chats, another U, uh, YouTube show. Also, shout out some friends of the show, The Drew Yari Show, uh, Kevin Castle and all of his projects. He's still part of the Don Tony Kevin Castle universe, and he's going to do some projects on his own. You've heard him on the show. Our friends, The Inhumans from The Inhuman Experience and The Inhuman Cafe, Bobby Blades and Bobby Anthem. Um, I always want to thank out the thank the guys at Wrestling Soup, Anthony Missionary Thomas, Joey Numbus. Um, they've been very supportive, uh, and Jason Solomon, of course, from the Solomonster Sounds Off. Lots of friends of the show. I hope I didn't leave anybody out. But uh, again, just please support our friends and thanks again for listening. If you want to follow me, Icarus Fell MD is my Twitter handle. And Garden of Doom has a Facebook page. So like it, share, tell your friends, join along. Thanks again.
11 bodies, 10 years, and countless theories. I'm talking about the Long Island serial killer case. It was just how many bodies were being found in one area. I was shocked. Follow us, Billy Jensen and Alexis Linkletter, on Unraveled, Long Island Serial Killer. And to follow our investigation even further, don't miss our all-new special Unraveled, The Long Island Serial Killer, streaming now, exclusively on Discovery+. Plus. The case of The Long Island Serial Killer is still unsolved. Follow us, Billy Jensen and Alexis Linkletter, as we investigate the untold story of The Long Island Serial Killer. 11 victims, 10 years, and countless theories. It was just how many bodies were being found in one area. I was shocked. And for us, this case is personal. You can follow our investigation in our all-new special, Unraveled, The Long Island Serial Killer, streaming now on Discovery+. Plus. Hey, Randy, what you doing? Oh, hey, Dave. I'm just making a list of things that make me feel really, really good. Wearing Bombas socks. Trust me, that's number one on my list. Bombas socks feel so good because we use the smartest design and best materials, making them the most comfortable socks ever. Plus, because socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, we donate a pair for every pair purchased, and that feels pretty good, too. To shop Bombas or learn more about how your purchase supports those experiencing homelessness, go to bombas.com slash comfy and get 20% off your first purchase.